button. The light is green. Cue intro. No, 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 no! Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Coco Talk Live. This week, we have a very special guest. It is none other than Bill Sias, the publisher of Color Computer News. Are you ready? All right, we are here. We're live. The panel is assembled. The viewers are already out there viewing. So we have Kevin Holloway. L. Curtis Boyle, TJB Chris, Pilot 0352, Sloopy Malibu, Exiled in Paradise, Kevin Holloway, Tom, Eric Gunderson, Mikey, Furman, he likes it, he likes it, David Craker is out there, Mark Overholzer, Tim Lindner is out there, uh, Kevin Holloway, the audience is here, the panel is here, we wish you were beautiful, but here we go, we are going to go ahead and do this, let's start introducing our panel and then we'll get right into our special guest, so in the top left hand corner, of the Hollywood Squares. It's none other than Rick Eulin. Welcome back, Rick. Howdy, y'all. Thank you for being here. Our foreign correspondent from the Great White North, O Canada, it is L. Curtis Boyle. How's it going, eh? Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone, depending on where you're watching. That's right. Our resident Apple guy and poster of links in the live chat, Mark Overholzer, is here. Hey there. Glad to be here. Creator of fine fake Australian products, many including toggle switches, Jason the Coco Man Reichert is here. Welcome, Jason. Hello. Is everyone excited? Oh, I am. Yes. 
He's in Arizona. He is so cool. He has his own theme music. It's Rondelvo. And how are you oh, today, world? Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty All right, good. you're looking quite dapper in that hat there. Looking yeah, like a... it's, it's going to be a great show today. Oh, absolutely. You look like a million dollars and 37 cents. We got a guy who does a few things with MAME, and uh, and then he even does things with BASIC now, apparently, making it squanchy. Tim Linder is here. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, squanchy, everybody. Hey, squanchy Tim. How are you? Uh, squanchy good. The Thunder from Down Under, often known for saying, Oh, Rocky! Nicholas Morentes is here. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, world. Good eye, good eye. Good to see you. We have our backup streamer. He's here just in case of emergency break glass. It's Mark Bosley. How are you, Mark? Hey, hello, everybody from sunny central California today. Oh, traveling. Cool. Yeah, so I'm not, I can't be here to push the button. Okay, well, uh, make sure you stop by In-N-Out Burger while you're there. Alan Murphy's here. Hey, Alan. Howdy, howdy. And a guy who optimizes ROMs and makes heads explode. James Diffendaffer is here. Hey, James. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Okay, that's the panel. I'm your host today, Stevie Stroh, and uh, Mikey Furman's out there. David Lord is out there. How are you? Uh, Ken Reichert says hello from the Ohio Turnpike. Scott Cooper is out there. David Lord. Uh, hi, guys. We're here. The show is here. Without any further ado, we are now going to spotlight and speak to our uh, special guest today, our guest of honor, who we're, we're thrilled and delighted, who has, has joined us for this, this quality program today. Uh, we have none other than Bill Sias. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, Sias? You are. That's amazing. And no one the, ever does. You are the publisher, former publisher. or It's kind of like military. Once you're a, a veteran, you're always a veteran, right? So you are the awesome. publisher of Color Computer News. And I'm going to shut up now and let Curtis ask the smart questions because I'm the dumbass here. So take it away, Curtis. <laughs> Thanks for throwing me under the bus, Stevie. So, uh, Bill, for, for a lot of people, uh, especially on this panel here, I think joined into the Color Computer Cocoa community <clears throat> after Color Computer News had already folded because it was the very first dedicated Color Computer magazine on the planet several months before Rainbow, even before Chromaset, which is a tape-based magazine, which all came out within about, what, four or five months of each other, I think, in 1981. So... Um, it ran basically from, I think it was the May, June issue of 81 up until September of 83. I remember Actually, there was, a, there was an issue zero, but you'll, I think maybe 50 people ever saw it. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. So we'll get into the story behind that too. So, um, but basically they were, they were around for, you were around for a couple of years and you had a ton of people that were actually became, you know, quite involved in the industry and started their own companies and stuff. Uh, in your original staff, I remember there was a little bit of a hand drawing of, of some of the people there too. And as you mentioned in the pre-show when we were talking, uh, you've you've always had a beard, so I have having... never been without facial hair, <laughs> which which means you fit right in with Rick Euland and a few others on our panel, Ron DeVoe, et cetera. So we've now got the ZZ Top band back together here. So. <laughs> <clears throat> So I guess we'll ask you the first standard questions we have pretty well ask every guest here. So the first thing is, is how and when did you get started in computers? Not not the cocoa itself, but computers at, in general. Uh, about 1974, uh, maybe 73, I uh, had access to um, a deck. Uh, shortly after that, I uh, 
I built uh, a single board computer. Probably you can't see on the screen how big the board was. Uh, then moved into S100 bus computers and SS50 bus. Um, most the the interest for me was um, what it could do for me mathematically. My, my academic background is in math. Okay, so were you using math like for teaching or for you know, well, you know subjects the, you were into or the uh, yeah the you know the, when you're when you're doing higher level math the arithmetic becomes tedious um, and you do the math and let the computer do the do the arithmetic for you uh, I started out writing a lot of Fortran um, and in pursuing an advanced degree in math you suddenly discover that maybe teaching math at a university is not nearly as interesting as you'd hoped because you don't get to teach the interesting stuff until you've spent 10 or 15 years teaching algebra to adults. Um, so I had an opportunity to do some outside stuff uh, and that led to, to writing software. Um, kind of stuck in the software end of the whole thing. Uh, I've designed some hardware along the along the road, but uh, primarily a software guy. Okay, and then uh, what made you eventually choose the uh, the color computer, and when did you get it? Um, I got the first one at the local computer store, the local candy store, Radio Shack. I haven't thought of that name in a long time. Um, they got one in. I took it home. Um, I was interested in it because of the processor in it. I wasn't very interested in the computer itself. It was the processor I was interested in. Uh, it looked like an interesting way to get computers in people's homes um, and do some interesting stuff. Uh, I, I'm going to clarify, you know, um, I don't think I've ever played a computer game in my life. Uh, I'm not really into gaming and the color computer was kind of touted as 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 a real cool ga gaming machine. It probably was. I don't know. Uh, I was more interested in people learning how to program and solving everyday problems inexpensively. Um, you know, both both of my kids were born in the mid '70s, and we'd go to other people's houses, and you know, as early as '78. Uh, you go to a friend's house to visit and the kids would get bored and they'd want to know where the computer was. And the friend that you were visiting would kind of chuckle because the thought of having a computer in their home was just absurd. And we'd had computers since before they were born. Probably like most of you guys. Uh, yeah, well, it depends on the age of the person on the panel, I guess, because you had some you know, yeah. a bit younger that would have came into it much later. I think uh, Jason had mentioned in one of the comments that you know, he didn't get his very first color computer until 84. So the Coco 2 was already out at that point. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I, um, I looked at it as, as an interesting, inexpensive tool. And at the time, um, it was the least expensive, higher end, I'm going to use scare quotes, uh, higher end computer that you could get. There have been computers around for longer than most people realize. Um, you know, Radio Shack getting into the computer business was not, they were not an early entry, uh, but they, they brought the prices of computing down. Yeah, I, I think like the triumvirate that everybody quotes from 77, which is the TRS-80 Model 1, uh, the Apple II, and the Commodore PET were the first 
mass commercialized home right but there were lots of computers long before that yeah there was heath gets and altairs and all kinds of stuff yeah we we were selling cpm based software cpm and mpm based software um in two businesses in 78 um yeah now, uh, what other computers you'd made? You'd mentioned that you'd started on DEX, and I'm assuming you're talking like minis, like PDPs. Were you talking yeah, about PDP, things like DAX or PDPs? Um, I, I really, you know, I, I was never in, in that era of my life. I couldn't have afforded something like that at home, and I wanted a computer at home, so I built one. Um, and then later on, you started. I built the Altair kit when it first came out. Uh, I built a couple of Heath kits when they came out. Um, I was interested in Motorola processors more than the Intel processors, uh, primarily because of what I thought I could do with the advanced addressing modes that they had that the other computers did not, other processors did not. Um, yeah, and those were on the PDPs too. So I mean, that yeah, was, exactly. Like, yeah. And going from PDP to a 68, 6809 is, is a pretty simple step. Um, my, my first programming task, however, was probably in 1964 and I'm using the word programming really literally very lightly here. Uh, my mother worked for a a large manufacturing company and the programmer at their office allowed me to put the plugs in the plug board for the program he was writing. You got an early start. Yeah. I would have been 11 at the time. We did have a question from the live chat about your single board computer. What did you build? What kind of processor, RAM, and bus did it have? 8,008, 2K of RAM. Uh, it was probably a three by three board altogether. Uh, it was it was wire wrapped on essentially Luon. Um, and to start it up, you had to go through with your, every remember wire wrap tools, you'd have to go in and retighten all the wires. And then it would start up, toggle switch it up. Um, yeah, that's something of, I think modern computers have no idea that even no. existed. Yeah, for me, I, yeah, reached, you, I, I reached had, behind the cocoa and hit the power button. That was mine. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, you plug this one in the wall and then I had a 25 step Toggle up, toggle it up in binary, hit step, toggle the next one up in binary, hit step. And that would hand load uh, enough to start the operating system, the operating system, which was enough to talk to a teletype. Yeah, I don't think people appreciate like people nowadays are, you know, if they have to emulate even cassette loading, they complain about how slow it is. And they have no idea what it's like to manually load in one byte yeah. at a time with switches. So as far as is names you'd recognize of computers, I've had DEC, I've had access to DEC. Uh, I had digital, digital corp stuff, the old FIDEC based systems. Um, I had a, I had a Lisa. Uh, anybody even remember that? Yeah, the original uh, pre- predecessor yes. of the Macintosh. Predecessor of the Macintosh. I actually worked on the, on the Apple computer. Newton. I think they sold five of those, but I worked on the Apple Newton. I have one. Uh, do you? One thirty. You're you're running my memory manager. Oh, you wrote low level stuff for the Newton then. Yeah, my my, my career. So I, I I might be jumping ahead here. Oh no, go ahead. Don't worry about it. Just whatever, okay. wherever the conversation flows. Um, 
one of, one of your last questions, I just, I just peeked. Uh, one of your last questions, what did I do after? You want to hit that next? Yeah, if you uh, want to, sure. I, sure. I can come back to stuff and I've got extra stuff you don't even have in that list there. I just, awesome. last I haven't read the list. I just saw the first and the last question. So been a little busy. Um, prior to that and during it, we were writing software. We specialized in attorney and accounting and accountants. Uh, we did uh, multi-processor, eight-bit stuff. Uh, wrote wrote all the software for that. Um, the accounting stuff we did eventually got bought out by a company. I, my NDA still doesn't allow me to tell you who it uh, who bought it, but they were located in the state of Washington. Um, it doesn't say I can't tell you where they were. You can figure it out from there. Uh, I'm surprised that the NDA is still active this long. It probably isn't, um, but you know, it, it's not worth the the risk. Possible hassle. Yeah, it, it kind of goes along with something else I do, where I tell people, you know, uh, if when you go to court, even if you win, you lose because you pay your attorney, and here in the states anyway, uh, it's very difficult to recoup that. Anyway, uh, after. After Color Computer News ended, um, I took a little while off to figure out what was going on and how to how to cope with it. Uh, there was a divorce involved, and there were a whole lot of uh, whole lot of things that all fell apart at the same time. Um, and then I worked as a, an embedded software guy for about forty five years. Uh, I technically retired ten years ago. I've been working as a as a health coach ever since, health coach is kind of a new profession. Um, and if we're interested, we can talk about that later. Um, yeah, we'll bring it up. Uh, yeah. um, just a tech nerd, always have been. My, my interest now, uh, I'm going to hold my hands up and show you that I've got all kinds of stuff attached in places where you can't see. Uh, I'm very interested in, I, I hate this term. Uh, biohacking is the term. I do what those people do, but I don't think you can hack the human body unless you're, you change the definition of hack from when I was a hacker. Um, so now I'm, I'm interested in, in writing interesting programming for human bodies. Uh, yeah, anyway. Alan mentions that, uh, is it what is also considered to be wearable computing where you're getting like biosensors and stuff that are kind of modern? I, I have the, the ring that I'm wearing right now. Uh, I can look right now and I can tell my body temperature, my heart rate, my blood pressure. You know, the blood pressure is over here. Um, yeah, I, I, I can monitor an amazing amount of stuff that's going on in my body between all of the sensors that I wear. Uh, most of my, my patients wear similar if not the same they'll, they'll wear a subset of what i wear um and most of my programming now is in in excel uh figuring out what's going on inside their body by watching the results that we get from the sensors and the lab results that we run okay now uh, I, I did want to get into what other co computers did you own before now you mentioned some of the kit computers you had obviously but yeah i've had yeah, I built a hero, in fact, um, and that got me interested in robotics. And we did some. I, I'm on call, so occasionally I'm going to have to peek at my uh, at my phone. I won't have to leave, but part of what I do is I have medical power of attorney over a bunch of people. Um, 
so sometimes I get called away. Uh, no, no problem. No, nothing will happen in the next hour. Uh, basically, you name it, I've probably had it. Uh, I, I laughed at the PC when it was first coming out. In the same way, I thought the TRS-80 Model 1 was a joke. I thought the IBM PC was a joke. Uh, they both started out underpowered for where we were technologically at the time. Uh, it was interesting to me that the color computer at, what was it at the time, 300 bucks, uh, was a more powerful computer than their TRS-80 Model 1 uh, fully expanded. Uh, it was kind of an upside down sort of thing. Uh, their little gaming computer was more powerful than the one that they were touting as a home <laughs> and business computer. Uh, it's it's also fascinating to me, yeah. And and keep in mind that this is the first time I've talked about color computer stuff in probably thirty years. Um, it, it was always amazing to me how it attracted the same kind of people that were attracted to ham radio and and airplanes. Um, the uh, I'm going to set that aside and it'll not interrupt us again. Uh, it breaks my train of thought. The, uh, the genuine hacker mentality, you know, you, you want something done, find a group of dedicated amateurs and they'll, they'll, they'll kick its butt. Um, a group of dedicated amateurs will outperform a group of professionals every time. Uh, and that was one of the other one of the other things that that I think we had a small hand in, in the in the color computer. In that, the focus of color computer news was not here's the coolest new game. Though we did do that because you know if you don't have subscribers, you, you had to offer something for everybody. Yeah. And we uh, so we had game reviews and all that, but they were never reviewed by me because that's not the interesting part. I'm an, I'm a nerd. I suspect all you guys are too, you know, uh, I'm going to spend an hour playing a game or I'm going to spend an hour writing any kind of code whatsoever. I'm going to choose writing the code every single time. Um, I'm, we we rather... find that with game authors even because most of the game authors, the ones that do machine language games, it, it's the programming, the game, that's the fun one. They don't play games Absolutely. much themselves. It's, it's learning how do you want to manipulate the graphics to do this or the sound to do this. Yep, yep exactly. I, I, I worked for a Fortune 100 company for about 20 years and we get into arguments with the vice president uh, that I directly reported to. I was a sen senior engineer there. Um, who wanted to explain to me how computers worked and he had no clue as to how they worked at all. And in fact, I'd talked to programmers that worked for the company and they didn't understand how processors worked, which just blew me away. <laughs> um, and then we get, uh, get guys who would come to me and I, they'd want help with their software problem. And I pull out an oscilloscope and they were, well, this is, this isn't hardware, it's software. Yeah. Okay. I can debug the, the, the software much faster with an oscilloscope than I can without, depending on the situation. Yeah. Uh, and now, I'm not and talking you, on all embedded stuff. Yeah. Now, you kind of came around a little bit on the home computer market because, you know, like that started in 77, basically, with the three computers I mentioned before. And like you said, yeah. you weren't a big fan of the of any of them, really, at the, I don't think at the time. No. I, I now, owned all of them at one point or another. The only, the only one of the cla classic computers that I never owned was the Chiclet Key uh, Commodore. The original uh, Pet Joe. 
the original pet because I just looked at that keyboard and I couldn't bring myself to imagine actually using the thing. Which is ironic that you got into the, the color computer afterwards. Well, it was but... a crappy, it was a crappy keyboard, but you know, it, it the, the processor more than made up for it. Yeah. You know, I, I did some Apple II stuff and 6502 is, yeah, did you ever put an oscilloscope on a 6502? Did you wonder why it wasn't exploding? <laughs> I don't know. I just found the complete lack of registers and indexing modes and everything else. Just exactly too limiting. Yep. Uh, remember, compare the 6502 to the 6800, not the 6809. Yes. Yeah. It was a much yes. cheaper than the 6800 was at the time. Exactly. Now, I, I did want to show on the screen and off the screen share here for a bit, Stevie. This is a, a copy of the very first remarks, which is RAM in capital, you know, for. Uh, you know where program. that came from. If, if you were in pretty much anybody's basic and you typed remark and hit enter, you get capital R-E-M and A-R-K. So this is the very first article. Now, there's one particular one here, uh, one part paragraph I want to read out loud for the audio viewers in particular who won't be able to see this. Uh, Remarkable Software, which is what you called your company. And this was the company that actually you did so custom software, as you mentioned, for law firms and everything else. And then you also published Code News under this, this mantra. I don't know if you did anything else related yeah. to that or if it still even went up to your retirement or was that just something in the 70s, 80s? Or It, it got sold. Okay. But uh, one paragraph here. So Remarkable Software started long ago as a custom programming company primarily aimed at business. The problem that hardware manufacturers seem to produce less than exceptional software and don't usually have the facilities to customize their software for their customers. About the spring of 1980, I was forced to change attitudes about a machine I had been opposed to since its inception. I discovered the TRC Model 1 wasn't all that bad at computers, so I bought one and Remarkable Software entered the world of personal computing. So I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Like what, what was the thing that changed your mind? Was it because you know, it became a much bigger market or, or what exactly happened? Well, we were at the time, uh, we were writing software for, so I have to back up. The world has changed since back then. And back then people were not going to change their business to match the software. The software needed to change to match the business. Uh, now people buy QuickBooks and that's the way they're going to run their business. People weren't that willing to do it back then because, uh, and our mantra was, you know, if you find the software that solves your problem, you, you purchase the computer it runs on and it doesn't matter. Uh, we had a company out of Ann Arbor that was building uh, S100 bus computers for us that they would then, they would ship it in, to us. We would install it in the customer's location and we would, install our software on it. Most of it was CPM based, uh, mostly uh, Intel chips, uh, Intel or Zilog, a lot of Z80 stuff at the time. Uh, we, we did some fairly unique accounting stuff for attorneys. Uh, so if there are any attorneys here, I'm going to offend you now. Uh, the, 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 if, if in, in the United States anyway, or certainly in Michigan, if, if I'm your attorney and I represent you and I win you a million dollars, you don't get a million dollars. You get two thirds of a million dollars, but you don't get the two thirds of a million dollars either. You get the interest on two thirds of a million dollars for, 
for whatever amount of time it takes for that interest to accumulate up to two thirds of a million dollars. So the software we had would find the best investment for the attorney to maximize their ability to keep the most of that money that they could. Uh, so it was fairly complex stuff looking at different types of investments uh, because you, you don't, going back to the million dollars number, if your share of the, of the settlement is a million dollars, you get the interest on a million dollars, which works out to be about 20 years of, of payments. Uh, the attorney gets the million dollars right up front. He and we helped them invest it so that they ended up with more than a million dollars after paying you your million dollars. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So every now and then I tell, explain how that works and I have to apologize and be embarrassed. Um, but it was fascinating stuff as a guy doing math. It was pretty interesting stuff. We did some accounting software. Uh, going back to where it happened to Remarkable Software, it got sold off in pieces. Uh, the accounting stuff, the accounting software was bought off because what, what I had done is I wrote a templated based accounting system, which, you know, put yourself back in 78, 79, this is pretty revolutionary stuff. Nowadays, it's no big deal. Uh, we would go in and we would customize it to match your business uh, in, in a short period of time. We did everything from junkyards to zinc die casters to uh, aerospace companies. Um, and we could go in and they would be functional day one. And over the course of typically 90 days, we would have modified it so that it looked like custom software exactly suited to them. Um, the attorney software did that, did what we've already described. It also did time accounting. Uh, we were doing some pretty fancy stuff at the time. We had what you guys will remember as TSRs, uh, terminate and stay resident programs. And we had, uh, I had built onto CPM a real time operating system that ran at, concurrently with it that allowed us to keep track of time. And the attorney could turn on and off uh, who he was billing. We would pick that stuff up out of memory later and, and plug it into their accounting system. Um, the, uh, so if we're bashing, I, I hope you don't have a lot of attorneys listening because I'm going to bash them one more time. One of the other things the software is designed based on their request is, uh, if, if I'm talking with Curtis and Patrick calls me up, I would do my hotkey and I would turn on Patrick. The software is smart enough to see that at the, at the end of a 15 minute granular at 15 minute block, it would now turn off Curtis. And continue with Patrick. So Curtis would continue to get billed for sitting and six, waiting six eight minutes while I was talking to Patrick. Uh, when I turned Curtis back on, Patrick would still get the the remainder of that fifteen minute increment. So uh, when we did the automatic billing for him, it showed that they were on exactly fifteen minutes or half hour or whatever the increment happened to be. I got but that was that was pretty revolutionary stuff at the time because we were we were making uh, CPM. I assume everybody's heard the the phrase before. Uh, uh, we were making it act like a real time operating system concurrently. Did you see the movie Off Office Space? Y you know, I, I get picked on a lot 
um, because people will make movie references and then I have to be embarrassed and admit I don't watch movies. All right. So you never saw the movie. In the no. movie, uh, there were software people that were able to um, put a uh, logarithm in their the software they sold so that they would get a penny a transaction type of thing. <laughs> so the software guy. I know where this got is his, going. <laughs> the software guy always got his money. Yep. <laughs> we we had some software that we built for another software developer. Now this is well past uh, color computer news time. Uh, that would uh, basically put your software in jail. You could use the rest of your program, and until until one of their developers came in and remotely unlocked your computer because you hadn't paid your subscription fee, uh, it would lock you down and not let you, not let you work. Uh, all stuff's really easy to do today. That was, we were pretty proud of at the time. We, one of the coolest things from that same era, color computer era, is we interfaced to a change counter. Now, this is not, change counter like we're thinking of this would belong to a vending machine company and i'm sitting in my home office right now it would fill up this room and they would dump in uh 35 gallon garbage cans full of coins at a time and it would interface to that and in that interface to our accounting system it had but no it would count all the change and figure out it would count all the change and we had to hardwire uh and when i say how hardwire we actually did it optically uh, we'd optically count the coins while this change counting machine was counting the coins. So we were basically just using it as a sorting device, and we were counting the money ourselves. And was this using a color computer or was this using a different computer? Oh, this was using uh, an S100 bus system. Okay. We could have done it with a color computer. Um, but one of the things when you're selling when you're selling stuff back then, if I'd walked in with a small computer, that would have got laughed out of the office. You know, computers had to be big and heavy and, you know, they had to look like they took up a lot of room and, and were, and it had to look expensive because we were marking them up as well. Yeah. Yeah. You had to have the big iron look. Actually, speaking of that, um, and I think I remember reading some of this when I was going through the remarks columns there, you did write, and even before you started color computers, you did write some software and even designed some hardware for the color computer, but yep. you did not want to have your magazine the company that was running it, Remarkable Software, you did not want them competing with your own advertisers. So you right. vowed never to sell anything commercially. Right. But I'm wondering, what kind of stuff did you develop at that? I, I, I built uh, a board that interfaced the color computer to a speaker, and it decoded soft, decoded Morse code and Baudot, uh, because I was active in ham radio at the time. Um, Tom's... I have to ask, did you ever do uh, WeFax? No. I've no, been doing I, it. <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my amateur license lapsed. So a whole lot of, yeah, Curtis and I talked about this uh, very briefly, what, when we talked last, a, a week ago. Yeah. Uh, the demise of the color computer news came about with a, an amazing, set of storms that all happened at precisely the same time that included uh, weather catastrophes, home catastrophes. Uh, and so amateur license expired, and never got renewed. Uh, 
uh, I spent a fair amount of time being a recluse after that because. Uh, now you're pretty decimated from what you were saying, from what yeah. everything happened at once. Yeah. I mean, even in, in the, the remarks columns, there was times where you, you got behind publishing the magazine by a month or two. And that was because you guys got completely snowed in. Yep. Like we are in Michigan and you couldn't even get stuff shipped out. And then you lost power for several days due to a snowstorm. Yep. And we, we had one at that time where we lost all power, which meant no heat, no water in my home for a full two weeks. Ouch. I don't think we've yeah. had that bad up here. <laughs> we're yeah. in Michigan. Well, we're, we're in Michigan. Where? Is that, so, so here's Michigan. Everybody from Michigan's familiar with this, right? Yeah. Here's like Michigan right there. Ah. North of Chicago, or yeah, else? Chicago. Chicago is actually the nearest big city. It's closer than Detroit. Yeah, we get lake effect snow here. That uh, you know, everybody else is fear fearful of global warming. We're praying for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty well most most of Canada too. Yep. Um, <clears throat> now I wanted to ask you. <clears throat> Um, you were interested in the 6809. You, you knew about it, um, I'm assuming, from like 68 Microjournal, maybe Byte Magazine or something like I, that. I didn't, actually, I didn't hear about 68 Microjournal until Richard Don came along. And we'll talk about Richard at some point, I'm sure. Or unless we all get bored with all this before that. <laughs> uh, Richard. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, what, what prompted you to start the Color Computer News Magazine in the first place? Like, what was the impetus? The... The alternate source, it was a TRS-80 based magazine out of Lansing, Michigan. Uh, they were, the guy who ran it was an IT guy for Coke. He, uh, he was a, a nerd of our sort, you know, and, but really liked Intel processors. And he and I would talk a lot. And we'd argue about processors and all that. I can't even remember his name anymore. Um, so which magazine was his? Was that like 80 the alternate source? Oh, that was the name of the magazine itself. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he, I got the color computer and started messing with it. And he said, you know, there's no information for that out there. You ought to do something about that. I said, well, you know, I, I wrote a few articles for ham radio stuff. I, I've been published as a mathematician. Uh, so I, I kind of know how to write, but I didn't know how to make it interesting. And he said, well, I'll just do it, see what happens. So that's where the issue zero came out. Uh, it was about 16 pages long. I wrote every word of it. Um, and pieces of it appeared later in other issues of Color Computer News. Um, because we, we never really distributed it all. There were maybe... If there were 50 copies of it, I'd be surprised. Um, Do you still have one yourself? I don't have any color computer news magazines. Uh, it, we'll come back to that. Uh, <laughs> the, the last issue I saw, you held up in front of the camera on Zoom. Uh, prior to that, the last one I saw was in the warehouse of the building we owned. Um, I, I have this funny philosophy and I get, I get harassed about this a lot. So, you know, feel free. Um, I, I don't get nostalgic about very many things. Uh, I said yes to doing this because I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about this and think about a part of my life that's long since gone. 
but I never kept any copies of the magazines. I don't, I haven't seen a color computer in over 30 years. Um, my, my life took a different track. Uh, you, you, you live more for the present than, than worrying about the past type thing. Yeah. If you're you onto know, something new, you're onto something new. Yeah. And I, and I try not to fall in love with things that can't fall in love with me. Um, and that's kind of my philosophy. I'm surprised uh, you like coding then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all about me. That's, that's very, that's very Zen like experience. Um, uh, it's as close to meditation as a nerd's ever going to get. Um, did you, you ever, know, do it, a, did you ever do any communications, uh, you know, um, with a computer? Not much, not much. Uh, we were, we were pretty heavily involved in FidoNet when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but no, never, not, not so much. Uh, I had it attached to the ham radio stuff and I, I did DXCC on the color computer. Um, and for all the non hams, I'm sorry, that probably meant nothing. Um, but, but that was pretty much it. Uh, it really got turned into yeah, my, my other passion in, in life there, there are only about three common threads through my entire life. Uh, been a working musician all of my life. I've been a competitive power lifter all of my life. Um, and, and I like learning stuff. I, I like writing code. I like fine detail on everything. Um, You're definitely a technology buff just due to all the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not the technology is what the technology does for me. Um, yeah, I, I get teased when, when this, this new thing came out, um, uh, another one came out at the same time. And I'd mentioned there's a young lady who is a close friend of mine. I, I mentioned, I wasn't sure which one to get. She goes, Oh, you're going to, you're going to buy both. She was right. I bought both. Um, well, getting back to telecomputer news, so you had a, you had an issue zero you did just as a kind of a test, I guess, to see if you could yeah, do just it. to see if if anything would happen. Uh, some of this is is lost in in areas back here in my brain. Um, we we wrote. Sometimes I'll say we when I really probably ought to say I. I wrote I wrote something for uh, eighty microcomputing. Um, I. Uh, and it was just to see if it would work. And the people who responded right away got that issue with an explanation that there was going to be more. And we got a better reaction to it than I anticipated. Uh, I thought we would get two people and I would send them their nine bucks back. And I think it was nine bucks. Um, and yeah, we did it, you know, a little, little check off on cool things we've done. Um, but it actually kind of got a little traction. Um, the uh, so where were we going with that, Curtis? Well, basically, like, like you had the issue zero came out, and you yeah. you got interest in it, and you saw that there was about fifty copies, and then you decided to go to actually you know making it a regular magazine. You started by bi monthly, went to monthly yep. a little bit later, um, yep. because you were the very first color computer magazine period dedicated to the to the color computer. How did you find article writers other than yourself when you did the first issue totally by yourself and, and advertisers? Like there was no network link of people. Yeah, there, there really weren't. But 
um, AMI, AMI microcomputing helped. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a pretty personable guy or a talkative or something. I don't know. Um, I, I talked about it a lot. Uh, I, I, I frequently would get comments from people who would call on the phone and say, you realize you're the only magazine publisher in the world that will talk to subscribers. I talked to everybody about it. Um, and it grew very quickly at first. Uh, I think we grabbed all of the nerds right away. I think they were looking for us more than we were looking for them. Um, there were uh, some advertisers that did us great things. There were other advertisers that were our demise. Uh, guys like Frank Hogg, uh, CompuWare, uh, Micro something or other out of Southern California as well. They were they were there. They were pushing us with with their uh, their subscriber their customer lists. Uh, and it grew pretty organically, you know. Uh, people kept trying to push me to get on CompuServe, and I thought CompuServe was stupid. Um, it's expensive, I can tell you that. Yeah, it was. And, and I didn't see the value, you know. Uh, FIDO was working well. Uh, there was a lot of other communication systems around that were free that, that did work well. Um, and CompuServe, while I eventually did join, uh, seemed seemed like the predecessor to Facebook. Uh, Facebook is an ugly thing. Yeah, it's kind of like CD chat on <laughs> yes. CompuServe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, like if you take a look at some of the early column writers, you had some big names in there that became, you know, software and hardware people in their own right afterwards and became yep. advertisers rather than columnists. You had uh, Tom Rosenbaum from Spectral Associates. You had um, some of the people from Microworks. You had Kenneth Callish, who's one of my favorite game authors of all time, writing, you know, how to do six and nine interrupts as a column. And, yep. You know, a mixture of game authors and serious software authors and some hardware designers all. And you had those all, like, right off the gate. Right out of the, yeah, because they, they were looking for us harder than they were looking for that we were looking for them. Uh, we gave them a venue. Um, one of the things that, that we did at first, yeah, and it kind of contradicts what we said. We intended to pay people from the beginning, but we were operating on an absolute shoestring. Uh, I think I mentioned in in one of the early columns, probably the one you showed, uh, the amount we were charging for uh, the amount we were charging for subscription wasn't even covering postage and printing. Uh, yeah, you did mention there was a big thing between bulk postage and, and first class mail. And you, you said, I think, in the second issue that you know, your heart dropped out once you found how expensive it was doing first class, yeah. which you had done for the first issue. So, yeah, well, zero went out first class mail, uh, one went out first class as well. Then we went to bulk. Uh, we wanted to go for second class, um, and that didn't work out, but I don't remember why. Uh, and now I'm going to – my brain works in ways that I'm a little ADD as well, so now you mentioned that, so my brain's going to lock on trying to remember why we didn't do second class. Um <laughs> We these are things unless why. you've tried to publish before. I mean, you've written articles. Right. You, don't, you hadn't had to worry about I'd... distribution or anything. This is all right. to you. So. Well, and it was really weird because then we discovered that the way you distribute magazines to uh, news centers is uh, basically the mafia. Uh, 
you you pour in massive amounts of magazines at one end they get distributed 90 to 180 days later you get paid and then they send you back all the unsold ones and you pay them and you pay them for the unsold ones uh yeah you have to buy them back basically yep yep uh so mag magazine store bookstore distribution at least at that point in time was was a nightmare um you had to put tons of money in in the front in hopes of getting anything out the back uh and you got paid so so long after the fact that sometimes it didn't matter you were out the money anyway and we we had a problem in that i thought we were doing early on i thought we were doing a service for the industry and we were letting people build their businesses on us uh we had a lot of advertisers who advertised month after month who never paid a bill. Um, and we, we let them continue because we thought we were making an investment in, in the industry and that it would pay off eventually. Uh, yeah. You, you were trying to get like, you know, the software people to get enough business so that they would be able to start paying you for the ads type thing. It was kind of yeah, like a, a yeah. rant at the beginning or something. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you're, you're making me sound nicer than I probably was, but uh <laughs> Yeah, unless the whole industry grew, we couldn't grow. And the industry was full of guys who were trying to make money at their hobby, and they were not making as much as they hoped, and so they were not paying us. And when we get down to the talking about the demise of it, it comes down to uh, I just ran out of money to put into the thing. It was costing me more every month than we were taking in. Yeah, uh, putting plus together you had magazine some disasters that all hit at the same time too. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, a wife who's now passed that uh, didn't understand why I was dipping into our savings for a business that had always been successful. Uh, the The amount of work involved in putting together a print magazine is enormous. Uh, we had at one point the staff got up to eight people to put together that little magazine, uh, and. Well, to be fair, it wasn't exactly little. I mean, by the end, you were doing 160 pages a, an issue. I mean, you weren't, yeah. I don't think Rainbow passed you in size until at least mid to late 1982. I mean, you were right. bigger than them right off the start. I mean, Lonnie started with, with what, a two page Xerox newsletter, and you started issue one anyway, I think it was like 24 pages to start. Yeah. And you started by monthly, and then you decided you had enough articles and stuff and enough columns that you decided to kick it to monthly. And then the page count went up at the same time. Like it's, you were, going along pretty good yeah but what was happening behind the scenes that nobody was seeing is that i was shoveling money into it out of my pocket all the way through and just got to the point where i couldn't justify it any further uh i had a wife that was saying this has got to stop uh, color computer magazine had made us an offer to buy us out because they didn't want to publish they wanted to take us over uh so we were in negotiations with what was at the time canoe magazine the publisher of canoe magazine who wanted to start a color computer magazine and what he wanted to do was just buy us out take over um, and while we were still in negotiation their first issue came out and they withdrew their offer um, yeah because they were the third major magazine i think we had yep. they came out early 83 and then hot cocoa from wayne green the 80 micro guys uh, yep. came out i think july of 83 so a few months afterwards. Yeah, because it was at one point, I think we had five major magazines for the Cocoa one 
one time in the mid 1983. That's the real boom. Yep. Time but that's also an oversaturated market, which probably didn't help you. <laughs> which didn't help. Yep. Now, I did want to mention there was one thing you mentioned in your first column that you were planning on doing. I don't know if this actually went through or not. I thought it was an interesting concept to do at that early time. And now, as you were mentioning that you were going to share programs for the color computer written by owners, so kind of a, a shareware network, and you would charge for $7.95 multiple programs on a single cassette. Did that actually work out? It was kind of like the very, one of the well, very first earliest shareware dis distributions I remember seeing. We, uh, we did a couple of those. And then a guy out of Florida, uh, can't remember his name right now, came to me and said, I want to do this. And he, so this is quite near the end. He started doing that, all of the issues, and he charged a subscription fee and got really nasty. And uh, we weren't helping him build his business fast enough. So that, that went on for a while. If you look at some of the later magazines, you'll see his advertisement for it. Mm -hmm. uh, a magazine or something or something. He something something like that. Uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he had good intentions with that and and it kind of didn't work he wasn't getting rich quick on on me you know? <laughs> uh, darn you oh i know <laughs> I, i've made a lot of people mad for not making them rich yeah you know? <laughs> uh, are you one of so those we people? did <laughs> i'm sorry i said are you one of those people who's mad for <laughs> you not for not you rich. for me not making me rich yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i might be okay. <laughs> uh, i have no complaint though honestly you know uh it, it was it was a lot of fun while we did it until it wasn't anymore and then it got difficult uh, i have the unique position of being able to say that i've i have hired i've employed All of my immediate family, other than my older brother at one point or another, I have the dubious pleasure of being able to say I had to fire my father because he was not good at his job. Uh, yeah, that was rough. Uh, Mind you, I, I had to do that with my ex-wife too, so I, I yeah. kind of feel for you on that one. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't fun either way, but you know, I went into his office and said, I got to make a choice today. I either have to let you go or go bankrupt. And he said, well, I guess you probably ought to let me go. It's good. Cause I didn't really want to go bankrupt. Okay. And, and we, and that was not really the case. He was just not good at his job. Uh, yeah. My youngest brother was the art director, so all the layout in the magazines that you see, he did. He's now passed, uh, died at, at 48 years old, waiting for double lung transplant. Uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, hard worker. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's young, so. Yeah. I found it interesting as people were logging in, there were some names I actually recognized from back then. I don't remember which ones they were now, but some of the people who logged in early. <clears throat> like Mark Siegel, uh, maybe? Because he was a Tandy. Could be. Part of the Coco side of things. So that'd be one. The uh, I, I always took a lot of pleasure out of the fact that if somebody called and said, I want to talk to Bill, they talked to Bill. And Yeah, I, you mentioned I, one of your columns. You were, you were actually telling people to quit calling you so much because you were actually wasting, well, not wasting, but you were taking six hours a day just talking to... Just talking to people on the phone, yeah. 
Yeah. But, you know, I, I like to think we left a good mark. We, we left, unfortunately, in, in an unhappy way. We did, uh, in theory, all of the subscriptions got taken care of. They, uh, they all went to uh, Wayne Green, and they were supposed to get the magazine of their choice. I never followed up because Wayne offered me a job. I turned it down. Um, he wanted to do some stuff on the Apple II, and I had no interest in Apple II programming. Yeah. And I did, really didn't want to live in New Hampshire. Oh, he wanted you to move, too? Mm. Oh, okay. Anyway, I was going to go through some of like I went through a lot of your remarks, Calm, so there's certain things that were mentioned there that I didn't know about, actually, because I haven't read a lot of these. So there's one thing you mentioned in issue four, which is November, December of 81. You had an editorial explaining what formats you would accept articles in. Now, most of these make sense to me. Like, obviously, if you had a Coco cassette or disc, you'd send that in. Uh, because you had to start with the model of one uh, as far as owning a home computer, you said you could sell it in that format, too, and you'd be able to print it out. Uh, you'd accept Flex. Uh, you'd accept direct downloads from modem. All this is making sense up for me up to this point. And then I was quite surprised you also accepted hand-typed pages where just somebody just send you something, you have to retype it into the magazine. And you even accepted handwritten, like people just write down program listings by hand, write the article by hand. You'd have to be able to read whatever handwriting they had and then type it all in. How long did that last? Right to the end. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because when I, so you asked me stuff I've written for the color computer. I interfaced the color computer to a typeset machine. Um, so, and, and I made, I can't remember the name of the manufacturer of it. We bought uh, two remanufactured typesetters. This is back in the days when they printed out on film and they did beautiful yep. formatting. Um, we interfaced directly to their circuit board and we had a problem on one of their, on one of the computers and they had to send in a repair guy and they got livid the fact that we had modified their circuit board and threatened to not do repair for us until I showed them that it was their, I showed them the chip they needed to replace. But since they had sanded off the, the chip designation, I couldn't replace, replace it myself because I didn't know exactly what it was. Uh, so when we talked earlier about stuff I'd written for the color computer, well, that was one of them. And we, that interface, we had it uh, attached to a, a model one as well. And we were trying to fill pages and if all i had to do was type it in so the, the question is who typed in those things from the handwritten stuff uh, that'd be me uh, and then i had a young lady that that answered the phone for us for the other com company and i'd pay her a dollar a page to to type in the ones that she would do um, so yeah we did that right up to the end because we were trying to produce as much high quality stuff as we could and we had tons of stuff that we we got submissions um that we never got to that were good stuff i'm certain it was we had boxes of of articles that uh we would have published more if we'd had time to to turn these great ideas into something that was actually readable uh, and i'm not picking on the people who submitted stuff but there was great stuff that was basically unreadable and i'm not talking about the quality of the handwriting i mean the the grammar was terrible and we we would have basically had to have completely re rewritten them and if you look at the articles you'd, you'll see that we tried to change as little as possible uh, one of the things that annoyed me as an author prior to color computer is 
getting back a proof and it didn't sound like me at all. They had, they had rewritten so much of it that it sounded like somebody else had written the article. Yeah, it became generic basically at that yep. point. Yeah. Because yep. I, I do I notice that like some of your comrades, like Frank Hogg, you can tell it's Frank Hogg when he writes. Oh, absolutely. Especially his, if you know his, Frank. His, his grammar isn't always the best. And he, he sometimes, no. if he gets hyped up on something, he doesn't use a period for like a paragraph and a half or something like that. Yep. Like he'll just, it's just like but, talking to him. But yeah, exactly. And, and that was kind of the goal is, you know, uh, I don't want to be slick and polished. We never got slick and polished. We got cleaner. Uh, but when you read when you read Frank's stuff, you knew it was Frank. And if you read your stuff, people would know it was you. Uh, the the purpose of communication. So the people who work for me now accuse me of being a grammar Nazi. But I'm only a grammar Nazi when we're communicating with the doctors. Uh, we, uh, the purpose of communication is to transfer an idea from one brain to another. And if we get it all wrapped around the axle on how pretty it was, oftentimes we'll lose that, that transfer. And if you have to go three paragraphs without taking a breath because there's no period because that's the way Frank talks, so be it. You know, the information got there and you felt like you had a personal conversation with Frank. Yeah. No, I did notice that in your columns, and that was different than I think any other computer magazine I've, I've really seen. You know, we wanted to polish as little as possible. On. Yeah. yeah. Bill, did, did you know um, Dennis Kitts from uh, Green Mountain, Mountain Micro? Because he, yeah. he, would, he would seem to be a fit for you because he did interest, interesting things with the Cocoa, plus he was a musician. Yeah. And we talked, we talked more than once. We talked a couple of times on the phone. Um, as I recall, he contributed some stuff. Uh, yeah, see, you're going to make me think real hard about this stuff now because we're we're talking we're talking half a lifetime ago. Yeah, know? yeah, and like you said, you're not a nostalgic type person by default. You, no. you're on to the next thing. Uh, Tim Linder, you mentioned the chat. You had a question for uh, Bill too, and I don't want to hog. I'll go the speaking parts. Oh, here, it's just I, I have a typesetting background. And I was wondering what type typesetting machine he hooked his cocoa up to. Oh, geez. It was big and blue. Uh, had a keyboard on the front. Compu something. Compugraphic? Compugraphic. Cool. Yep. And it was one of, another one of those ones where if it didn't work, you banged it, and if it didn't bang, it didn't do it. You'd open the front cover, get out your wire wrap tool, and re retighten all the wires and close it back up. I kept threatening to run a bead of solder down all those wire wrap terminals. And so that would have been a that would have been a photo typesetter that uh, yes. printed out galleries that you then pasted up. Yes. Oh man, nostalgia for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had some of those at the printing shop I worked at, but that wasn't my department, so I, I I saw them, but I didn't know too much about them. They're they're kind of fun little toys. The uh, when when we were when we were closing up the uh, the big camera, you know, all the pages are done were done on film back then with a screen, and we sold the big camera to Frank, and rented a Cadillac for my younger youngest brother to drive it out there, and spend a day teaching Frank's people how to use it and how to, how to determine size screens and all that. Um, and I never heard when my my baby brother got back. I asked him how it went. He was just grumpy. So I don't know if Frank beat him up out back or something. I don't know. But 
I was going to ask him the question if he appeared today. Yeah, unfortunately, he's got really crap. He's, he's camping up in Duluth right now, and he said that uh, the internet connection is horrible. He, it even took him a while to text me. So he, he's, he he's going to watch it later. So if he gives me some comments, I'll pass them on. Yeah. Awesome. And tell him to check out Elon. He's got a Mr. Musk has got a solution to that for him. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'd just like to chime in here for just two yeah, things, which is going to two observations, which will lead to a question. But um, what I'm hearing, like where you were at the time in the beginning of the color computer and you're saying things like, yeah, we were trying to be a resource. We we're trying to be a platform for this community and, and give people a place to kind of launch from. I kind of feel like and see some parallels with what we're doing with this show and in a way what we're doing with the Glenside newsletter because I've been you know um, in charge of editing the Glenside newsletter for almost the past two years and has kind of seen how that's taken an evolution and gaining some momentum and, and getting contributions and stuff so it's nowhere near the same scale or exactly the same context of what you did when you did but today's community I feel like there are some parallels there some of the challenges and struggles and and how like this show is one of a few platforms that provide a voice for hardware and software people to get the exposure and, and communicate to the community at large so I, I feel like in a small sense we're doing today for the Coco what you did back then and I'm not trying to fool myself full of hot air but you know I, I realize that no, I took it as a compliment yeah but but you know uh, percentage wise we're dropping a you were a big bucket we're a small thimble but the community's smaller too you know but I, I kind of feel like we're doing something analogous to what you did at a much more important time in history where you did it when this was new and trailblazing we're doing it now and it's kind of a hobby for you know, yep. for, for old people. But um, but, where, <laughs> but where I'm leading with this is a question now is like, so in in the span of what you did, you you had your, you know, you start your humble beginnings, you have your peak, you have your decline in in in, in that big arch. What was one of your um, proudest moments or aha moments or golden? You know, what, what would be like a really good takeaway? You can say, you know, I'm really glad this happened. Is there any, even just one thing you could say was, uh, despite the good and the bad, I'm glad this one thing happened. I met this person, did this thing or whatever. So it's kind of curious on that. Well, that's one I wish you'd warned me it was coming because that, that requires a little thought. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of things that I really enjoyed. Uh, the community, the, the fact that people would call just to ask programming questions, uh, there, there are still uh, little conversations that, despite not being this nostalgic guy, uh, there are still moments that I think of that just, well, you know, that's interesting because that's uh, uh, this picture is that he's showing is taken at one of those aha moments where I was speaking to this group. Uh, boy, that's a ridiculous looking suit, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Uh, you talking about Frank's or yours? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the people who work with me now wouldn't believe there was ever that much hair. In fact, I, I just came across the picture uh, as I was moving. I just sold a house because it suddenly became I, 
this is not all that interesting, but a realtor came to my house and said, uh, I have a client that wants your house for a ridiculous amount of money. I looked at the offer, and so I, I'm living in an apartment right now while looking for another house. Um, and in the process of moving, came across some pictures from about, oh, maybe three years before that picture. And the, the hair at the time was, uh, if, if I would lean forward, I would pull my hair because I'd be sitting on it. Uh, and now, apparently, it doesn't look the same. Uh, this particular picture was taken at a a conference where I was asked to speak and it was quite a cool thing to be asked to address this group this community Uh, this was a micro one if I remember reading correctly Uh, there were three that I really enjoyed there was this one there was another one it was a user group thing in uh, Southern Ohio that they asked me could I come and they couldn't afford to pay me but would I come anyway and I came uh, yeah is that Ken Kaplan in the middle there yep it is I just want to show people because that was that was basically almost the entirety of microware back at that that point and yep. some people on uh, in our audience have actually worked in microware during various years really? of existence so yeah I recognize I can't remember all the names but I recognize all the people I should have read the caption uh, including some yeah, of the people that, that worked that on the uh, the Coco thing. Three ROMs, like Larry, right, and, and yeah. the Coco Nine Two are in there too, like uh, Larry Crane and Bob Doggett and a few others. One of the one of the funny things from <clears throat> from that conference was there was one session where uh, it became apparent that Ken Kaplan didn't understand that there were ANSI standards for control codes. Yeah, uh, you can tell that from OS Nine for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the other, the other, move the cursor up or something what, like that. What's the old saying? The great thing about standards are there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I went to work. I went to work, contracted with a company that uh, ran OS Nine on some interactive game. When I say game, I don't mean uh, how do I how do I phrase it? Because I can't tell you the name of the company legally can't tell you the name of the company uh they did some large indoor recreation stuff that was all run on os9 and i got hired to fix some stuff that turned out to be os9 based uh, problems that's cool I just thought you'd like a bit of a blast from the past yeah that was also to prove you've had that beard for 40 years yeah i've i've actually I've had at least the goatee and mustache since I was 14 years old. Uh, I would have actually probably had it from birth because it's never had a razor on that part of my face. <laughs> and this is the least beard I've ever had because when COVID came about, you couldn't get to the barbershop anymore. So I started shaving the head and a full beard with a bald head looks like your head's on upside down. Uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't want to do that. So I shaved it down to the Van Dyke or the goatee or whatever it's called uh, and kind of got used to the look so continue to do it despite yeah, the fact well, that barbershops well, I think one of the things we touched on briefly in, in our pre-interview was there was a crossover where you your magazine existed at the same time the rainbow existed and you you had some interactions and you had a relationship with Lonnie Falk the publisher of Rainbow Magazine are there any 
stories, good, bad, horrific, or wonderful and that you can share? Or <laughs> actually, just before you answer that, Bill, I want this was actually my next question. Honestly, okay. um, I, I did. Uh, there's a specific column you wrote about this a little bit, and I wanted to read that verbatim so people kind of can get the background of it <clears throat> from you at the time. This is from the January 1982 issue, the first issue you went monthly. And um, for a bit of background for the audience, Chromoset was the first tape-based magazine. It also came out in mid-1981. It was run by Dave Lakerquist, and he's also the guy who originated the term Coco. So your, your quote from this is that, those of you that get Chromoset have by now read Dave's comments about us and Rainbow. We both were unaware of the other at the times our ads were laid out. And I've changed my ad accordingly. For those that don't get Chromoset, we were advertising ourselves as the only totally color computer magazine in the market, which at the time was true. And that was true the first three or four months. Um, and then Lonnie Fuck Rainbow's publisher and I had a long chat on the phone shortly after we discovered each other and agreed the competition was good for both of us. So we exchanged ads. Please come. We did. We did. We exchanged ads. Uh, we we did them both gratis. Uh, he, I published his. He published mine. His we, I, I went, I went to the first or second Rainbow Fest anonymously. Uh, didn't work real well because I have a face that had been in the magazine a few times. Uh, got recognized by a bunch of people, and some of them were delighted I was there. Others were shocked because you know Lonnie and I must hate each other. Uh, Lonnie and I did not hate each other. Uh, we, if we had been. If we weren't both very busy, we probably would have been friends. Um, he invited me to his hotel room, and I went. We sat around for a while. He explained to me that uh, he had to send a messenger back to, where did he live, Prospect, Kentucky? Yeah. Uh, had to send somebody back there because there were no decent bagels in uh, Cincinnati. Wherever, wherever it was we were, there were no decent bagels there, so we had to send somebody back and he had a big box of bagels, so we had a bagel together. Uh, we talked about where we both were in the whole thing. Uh, we honestly never became friends. We probably would have another circumstance. We were never enemies. Uh, we had differences of approach, you know. As as I recall, he he had a publishing background. He worked for. A university sports magazine worked or published or something i don't i don't recall anymore um and he was an associated press i think or something like that reporter for a decade or two before for that some, too, some yeah time. for yeah. some amount of time um so he was for him him to produce the more polished of the two magazines was no surprise to anybody who knew both of our backgrounds um he, yeah, he definitely I, wasn't as technically minded as you oh no not at all uh, but a very nice guy. Uh, we got along very well every time we got together. Um, the bagels were fine. They were not <laughs> the best bagels I've ever had, but 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 they were they were just fine. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and this was a policy that you published in, in CCN too. Um, and this is, as far as I know, is unique. I don't think most magazines would let this happen, especially nowadays. But you had this policy, and somebody wrote in to ask him about this, actually, in the letter mail call section, about the fact that they wanted to reprint some articles from Color Computer News in their own local newsletters for the club. And you said, sure, you can do that as much as you want. All you have to do is just you know, mention that it was done by CCN. And that you had, they had to send you a complimentary copy of that particular newsletter. And that's it. There was no money exchange. Yep. There was nothing yep. else. And 
I don't know well, of any other magazine that you know, before or since is, would be able to do that. Well, it's actually happened about, again about two or three years ago. I got a I got an email from someone who said he was putting together a compilation of information about the color computer, and he wanted to put it together on DVD, and he wanted to do just the articles without the advertising. And I told him that, that would be fine as long as he was distributing it directly, actual cost. If he made any money on it, he needed to find all of the authors and compensate them somehow. Uh, so I actually continued that policy for a long time. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I really believe that we are all made better by the sharing of information. And, you know, if, Amen. In, in all of my work as an engineer, I was always the first to help and always quick to uh, let people know what I was doing. I'd work with other engineers who would say, you know, you're sharing too much. You're <clears throat> How do you secure your job if, if you don't if you don't if you don't keep some of it back? And I think that it's very important that we as humans stop worrying about making a dollar from everything we do you know uh, we we do in in what we do now and you promised me i could talk about it at some point so i'm saving it up for later uh we do a fair amount of pro bono stuff because uh it's good for all of us if we if we take care of each other and holding things to your chest doesn't do anybody any good not even you yeah well, I don't have too many more cocoa-related questions, so yeah, we'll be getting well, to that. So I was going to ask that question, and we're happy to have you talk about as many other things that are non-cocoa-related, like especially the stuff you're doing now. But do we perhaps want to maybe take a break then, since we're getting to the tail end of the cocoa questions? Because we've been we've been talking for a little over an hour now, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. So I don't know how much and, time and you I, have. And left. honestly, I, I've been honestly surprised because I thought we'd run out of stuff to talk about at about yeah. the ten-minute mark. Uh, do you have more time for us, Bill? Sure. Are sure. you okay if we take maybe a two to three minute I, break? I would be delighted to take two minute break right now. All right. So, <laughs> so, and Bill, listen, I appreciate you and you being here and this is great stuff. I'm eating this thing up like a kid in a candy store and we want to keep it going. We have some more cocoa questions. I think you have a few more left. Curtis, maybe some more yeah. from the panel and the audience. So we're going to take a break and then we'll come back. We'll get to some cocoa stuff and then tell us about what you're doing now. Feel free All to right. plug anything and everything you want to plug as Care, well. Careful, because I'll actually do it. I'm going to hold you to that. All, All right. right. So um, we're going to take a break, boys and girls. We are still here with Bill Sias, the publisher of Color Computer News, the first color computer magazine in the history of history. Um, and uh, I'm going to run, what I'm going to start with, is I'm going to run some promotional spots of um, some upcoming guests we have in the next few weeks. And then we'll take a good uh, two minute break. So everybody smoke them if you got them, go potty, do what you got to do. And we'll be back after these words. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, everybody. And we'll be back. Hi, I'm Gene Turnbow. I'm the programmer of C-Trek, one of the very first implementations of color computer Star Trek back in 1980 for Spectral Associates. And I also built an interesting motion control rig for cinematography using an MC-10. And I'm the founder and station manager of Sci-Fi.Radio, Sci-Fi for your Wi-Fi. And I will be on Coco Talk on September 11th. See you there. 
Hello everyone, Brian Weasler here. You've probably seen me on Coco Talk and on Facebook. Some of you probably know that uh, I enjoy collecting. Some even say I have a problem. Well, recently I made a large uh, acquisition and on September 18th, I would like to share a little bit of that collection with you. I'd like to talk about the person who put together the large collection that I acquired and to talk a little bit about him and share some of those items with you. You might see some items there that maybe you haven't seen before. You might uh, see something that you've seen and hadn't seen one in a long time. And we can talk about some of those items and share it together. So again, September 18th, join me on Coco Talk as we go through this collection that I recently acquired. See you then. I'll need my mic so I don't get any extra noise. Okay, hi. I'm Glenn Hewlett. I'm probably known for doing my Pac-Man transcode and I just finished um, porting Williams Joust to the Coco 3. So I'm gonna be on Coco Talk on September 18th. So if you wanna see me, get on the show. Yeah. 
All right, we are back, everybody. Our continuing interview with Bill Sias, publisher of Color Computer News, and so much more, with the hard-hitting questions by our foreign correspondent, L. Curtis Boyle. If there is dirt to be found, if there's a skeleton in the closet, if there's something under the carpet, Curtis will find it for us. <laughs> so I take bribes to not ask. So. Um, first, I just want to do a couple of comments from the chat here. Uh, Exile in Paradise, who's actually on the panel, Robert Allen Murphy. Uh, the whole difference of the cocoa, from what I remember growing up in the country with basically a visit to Radio Shack only a couple times a year, this is an amazing view of the wider cocoa world at the time. Uh, Mikey Furman in the chat also said the wizards behind the curtain. So, you know, getting the whole back background story of what's going on, you know, back in 81 to 83. Um, Grant Leedy said, uh, this is a great interview. Uh, Eric Montero says, great show. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Sixie was Karen in the UK and is, of course, one of our main dragon correspondents for the Dragon Clone, which you actually featured on the cover of one of your experience magazines. I said, yeah, this is enjoyable. So basically, everybody's really liking the interview so far, which is cool. So I'll, I'll get some of the last couple of questions out of the way. I've got a couple little, uh, one more screen share to do when I get to that particular question. Then I'll actually show some Color Computer magazines, or Color Computer News magazines I actually still own and have here. Uh, some were actually inherited from a collection from somebody else who was collecting it before I got to it. And then a few that I bought at CMD Micro up here, which is long gone. But uh, Anyway, the next question I want to ask, and this is, uh, you announced another contest that was supposed to be monthly in the September 1982 issue, and I'll show what the award was going to look like. It was a plaque that you were going to issue out. I don't think this ended up being monthly, but uh, let's see find it here. So that's an actual cover of the magazine here, $2.95 per copy, but this was the plaque you were planning on planning issuing mm. and this was a contest for all six and nine systems because you also were you know as you mentioned the six and nine was your main interest in the cocoa so you actually ended up buying a gimmicks machine to run at remarkable software um and you mentioned you helped install them and stuff too so this was supposed to be honoring the most innovative use for a six eight and nine cpu and was sponsored by both yourself and gimmicks as well and there was you'd get this plaque and then you'd also get a 200 dollars prize reward how long did that run? How successful was that competition? Or did it kind of fizzle out? It, it, it died young. I think it happened once. Um, was it just because the market was a bit too small to try to jam something? Yeah, like well, earth shattering. You know, <laughs> Richard Don of Gimmicks um, I, I'm searching hard to, for polite words. Uh, <laughs> was a guy full of great ideas and not I, I haven't talked to him in he, I'm certain he's dead and gone by now because he was he was probably the age I am now when we were talking then uh, he had lots of ideas so on, on the personal front he wasn't the greatest person to deal with I'm guessing and business-wise, he was not the greatest person to deal with. Because um, I, do, I do know he used to just take out full-page ads. In, in yeah. Your magazine actually did that in Rainbow, too, and probably yep. some of the others, when I remember. But probably. That, but the, the, the systems they sold were pretty expensive. They were high-end. They were, they were very high-end SS50, 1609 uh, based uh, computers. They were very, very nice computers. Yeah, uh, I've heard nothing but praise from the people that have yeah. had them. The engineer who worked for them was a 
non-degreed engineer who was brilliant. Uh, and Richard was probably a fine guy, but he did a couple of things that uh, rubbed you the wrong way. Very much, you know. He he intentionally tried to embarrass my father. Um, you know that that sort of thing doesn't fly well. No. Uh, he 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 put Frank Hogg in a position to embarrass my dad, and Frank was very embarrassed by the entire situation. And uh, yeah, I know I know you I, don't want to I, go into detail. Yeah, I, I'm going to stop there because so it would to be say very. The uh, contest didn't run long. <laughs> it did not. Okay. It did not because the the contest was supposed to be. Uh, a gimmicks contest that we were sponsoring, supporting. We were doing the legwork. He was doing the uh, the money behind it because, as you can tell, those are very expensive plaques. Um, we were judging and announcing, and he was doing all the rest, and he didn't do the rest. That's no, too bad. It was actually sounded like a pretty good idea. It was a great idea. As you said, he was a good ideas man. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> Um, now, during our, our pre-interview, you mentioned, um, and it, it brought back some memories to me of, of uh, letter and editorial pages uh, from that time period, that you were definitely not a fan of the term Coco. You thought it sounded childish. And I, I, and I remember these, because in Rainbow and in CCN, it, there was a big yeah, argument. It, do you want to call it an ADC? Do you want to call it a CC? Do you want to call it a Coco? And, and there was a definite camps on both sides, and the letters pages in both your magazines would fire back and forth between people. And uh, I was wondering if you want to kind of explain your your viewpoint on that yourself, and then also has that changed over the years, or do you still feel the same way? I'm going to go backwards. Has it changed over the years? You know, I'm as as you age, you get a little softer. Uh, there are things that you recognize in yourself that you're not that you're not going to change, but at least you recognize them. Um, if I think something is stupid, I think it's really stupid. <laughs> and, and I recognize that. So now if I can think that something is really stupid, but not speak it that way. Uh, my, my issue with Coco was it was too cute and it made it sound, made the machine sound like it was only for games and it was not only for games. It was for serious computing as well. Uh, at the time it was in that price range the most powerful computer out there. Uh, and I think giving it a, and I thought giving it a cute name. Degraded it. Degraded that, that fact. Uh, and, and that was the whole thing, you know? Uh, and if I had been uh, looking at it from Lonnie's perspective, you know, he was selling magazines to people who enjoyed using the machine. And I was selling magazines to people who were enjoying creating on the machine. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to diminish or demise, diminish the perception of, of the, the machine at all. And if, that was that was the extent of it. If, if, if Tandy had stuck with the processor nomenclature, where TRS-80 kind of became just a brand name, even though it originally stood for the Z80 processor, if they had called it yep. the TRS-6809, that this doesn't have the same ring to it, although no. it would have been accurate. 
but hey, I got a TRS six eight zero nine. Well, what the hell is that, right? So, yeah, <laughs> TRS well, eighty was established now as a brand name of computers in you know in general, which is probably you know why they kept that piece. Yeah. Well, plus, the Tandy themselves I, I, changed that later. Like they did MC ten, the Tandy one thousand. Like they kind of got off the TRS eighty train yeah. themselves because they realized it was becoming nonsensical. The model sixteen had a six to eight thousand in it. Yeah. Well, and and I changed my mind on a lot of stuff when I started working with a lot of people who are really skilled at marketing and they would give things ridiculous names. I worked for one company. I designed a, a, a autonomous cleaning machine uh, and they called it the something 22. And I said, where does the 22 come from? Well, this is the cleaning technology into the 22nd century. What? No. I bet you that prediction didn't come true. Yeah, no, I'm certain it didn't. Um, so I've learned that, that marketing people look at life differently than those nerds among us do. Um, I would have called it the the 99 because it was tech, cleaning technology into 1999. Uh, so, you know, marketing people do their thing. They're good at it. We don't get it. Uh, working for big companies, you know, they have you do things that make you roll your eyes. You know, they bring in people who want you to do trust falls and silly nonsense <laughs> like that, stand and cheer for one another. And, you know, team all of building us are, exercises. Oh. Yeah, team building exercise, which makes you hate everyone on your team. Yeah. Um, when, when the TRS 80 came out, uh, and I used to look in the window at Radio Shack, you know, and see the Model 1. It, the TRS-80, before I knew about what processors were called or their numbers or anything, I thought TRS-80 stood for the 80s because in 79, <laughs> it was coming. You know, the 80s yep. are future. You were in the future, yep. yeah. And the it's... other thing I wanted to ask you was uh, you were interested in music. Did you interface music with the color computer or any computer in the future? Well... You, you asked me two questions there. Let me answer both of them. For most of my life, um, I, I wanted music to be the one area of my life that had no technology attached to it. Uh, so it, 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 I didn't for a long time. And then I started doing some, some composing and MIDI is stupid because uh, it's too slow. And I, I can't came up with a different way of interfacing a keyboard to a computer so it would transcribe better in real time. Um, so I interfaced a bit. Uh, I, if, if, am I talking to another musician? I'm not sure who I'm talking to. There are some musicians in, in our Okay, group. so so I did some band-in-the-box stuff. Um, you know, it, when, when, they, when they stopped allowing smoking in bars, uh, tips went away. So you made more money if you had fewer people in your band. And so I started doing some solo stuff using band in the box. Yes. This voice sings. Um, I'm not going to prove it to you. Um, <laughs> so by using band in the box, uh, you, you could have the rest of the band not with you and, and you could actually make, make a decent living, you know, Working musicians, there's a cat. Don't let my dog see that. I got greyhounds right behind me. Be well, careful. Who, who's going to do your trust fall when you don't have any other band members? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I guess I gave you a long answer to a short one. I, I kind of, there are some parts of my life where I don't want technology involved. For, so for example, music, music is one part of it. I also do uh, woodworking, but I do 17th century woodworking using 17th century tools and 17th century technology. Uh, the only exception is I do have electric lights, uh, but there are no power tools. And so those parts of my life have no uh, no technology involved at all. Okay. Now, there, there, one reason I want to bring up about the cocoa thing is because I remember the controversy myself from like 82 on until, you know, it kind of got cocoa kind of won out in the end. To the point that, uh, I mean, Wayne Green, who hated that term at the beginning, too, ended up making Hot Cocoa Magazine, you know, in July of 83. Tandy itself, or Intertan anyway, um, actually started advertising the color computer as the cocoa in, in Canada and yep. Quebec, for example. We've, if you've seen the commercial, we sometimes play as a background or in break, commercial breaks. They actually called the cocoa du, which is, you know, French for cocoa, too. So, I mean, even Tandy themselves, though I don't think they did in the States officially call it the cocoa anywhere, though they, even the stores they did. You know, we'd be talking to manager. Yeah, Tandy did call it cocoa in the U.S. The Getting Started book originally said introducing TRS-80 in Chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Later versions say introducing cocoa. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so it, it definitely it definitely kind of won over and it became... I, oh, I think it went from being cutesy to being friendly. That, that's not... That's water. I'm not chugging yeah. a bottle of wine. It's not straight okay. vodka. Okay. <laughs> You know, talking to us, you might need that. But. That's good Italian <laughs> water right there, too. That's the Pellegrino. That is some good it's Italian good water. Good stuff yep. right there. Yep. <laughs> okay, and then up until the 1983 issues, it had always, as far as I know, had a simple cover design, which included a table of contents, which I found really cool because you didn't have to open the magazine to figure out what stuff was. You could just look right that was the cover the point. and bang, that's the page I'm going yep. to. Actually, yeah, I'll share my... So, so let me, before you share your screen, let me explain to you why that happened. A very close friend of mine at the time owned a bookstore, and they were the first bookstore that sold it. And we talked, I talked with her, what should we do so that, so that we make you less mad carrying our magazine? And she said, the biggest problem we have as a bookstore owner is people will stand there and read the entire magazine, trying to figure out what, if they want to buy it or not. If somebody would just put the table of contents on the cover, it would solve so many problems for us. Well, it solved problems for us too, because then we didn't have to come up with a photograph every month and, so that's where that came from. So you can thank Mary for that. Yeah. Hold on, Ma if you want to spotlight me here, Steve, I'll just hold up this. This is a particular is a November 1982 issue number 14. So you can see like it just says color computer news, very simple and, you know, the mailing stuff and then the actual table of contents for the major articles. Wow. Yeah. Which is very handy. Like, like you said, if you're trying to find an article, like now we have indexes, you can use a PDF or searchable. Whatever. Sure. But, but I, think I, back you know, to if you I think had to back open to every original, rainbow to try to find an article, and TC scan, I could just flip through the covers, and oh, that's the one I want. And that was the point. We we always believed. Again, I'm saying we were. I should say I. I always believed that people were going to keep these magazines forever. And yes, we you, are. You're, you're going to want to refer back, and you, you you know that it, middle summer of '82, there was this article about. Oh, I know what it was, and now you can just flip open your archive, and there it is. And yeah, I normally the have these in little baggies in a binder, so I just can flip the covers through and find stuff. Now, you did change in 1983. You actually quit doing that. Now, I was going to yep. ask you a couple of things about that. First of all, why did you do the change? Because as you said, it was actually kind of handy and the bookstore person recommended it. And two, 
for a brief period, you went into like, I don't know, outdoor scenes. I don't know how to describe this here, but I mean, it's, it's seasonal, I guess, because this was yeah. a, a February. We, you could tell that happened about the same time that we got uh, international magazine bookstore distribution. And they went the opposite of Mary. They, they we need we needed a picture on the cover that would catch the eye. So that's that's where that came from. Yeah. This here and, is actually the very first issue I ever bought, and it's even got the old sticker for the Canadian price still on it. <laughs> what was the price? Three fifty. Wow. So it was about, we never charged that much in the states. Yeah, I think it was two ninety five in the states. If I remember, I think correctly. so. Now, was this actual, like, were these stock photos you got from somewhere, or is this actual yep. photos from, like, your, near your home? That particular one, I think, is just outside my front door. So this is in, in Muskegon, is that how it's pronounced? Muskegon. Muskegon. Okay. And then the next issue is another one, though, that's kind of a more of a print style, because it's kind of got the gradient. Yeah, right and that that's when we started using the the distributor didn't like the the cover that we did on the previous one they sent us stock yeah i preferred uh, yours actually to be honest if you're going to keep yeah. the outdoor theme going yeah but that didn't last long no because it was <laughs> stupid <laughs> so i'm going to jump to the uh, may 1983 this is your second birthday issue which has a, a nice cocoa cake which we've actually done at some which of the cocoa we Fest. actually that is actually a cake we we did indeed eat it i was going to ask uh, what flavor was it uh the bottom layer was white the top layer was chocolate and the frosting was gross <laughs> there was so much food coloring in it to get the right shade of gray yeah that was actually done by a place called anton's bakery uh that went out of business about a year ago now nick Morandi's who's on our panel here he helped organize the pen fest 2000 which was the 20th anniversary of the coco and they made a giant cake there that we had. I think the one half on the left was, you know, vanilla, and the other one on the right was chocolate. Uh, a fair bit larger than this, but they also did it with the, the cocoa theme. Nick, can you mention what the details were? Because I can't even remember, and I didn't have a picture handy. I think we had two cakes. One had a cocoa three or a cocoa on it. The other one had a CM8 on it. Oh, the monitor, right. That's right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I assume it was a Coco 3 on one and a CM8 on the other. It was pretty large, and we had the special guests chop it up. Um, yeah, we had Mark Hawkins from uh, Microware, who we you know, showed the Microware picture from earlier, one of the programmers. Engineers. Yeah. And the other guy. Uh, Jeremy Spiller, wasn't Kevin, it? And Kevin Darling. Well, it was Kevin Darling, yeah, that's right. And Jeremy Spiller, yeah, that's right. Hold on. Well, this one was exactly the same size as a, as a color computer jason can you hold up that picture again because you weren't on camera okay so jason's got a picture of the cake with the cm8 in it or that's the cm8 cake right there yeah okay what does it say on the cake it's kind of blurry in the picture what is the writing on the cake oh and uh, you're muted jason that's something about pen fest 2000 wasn't it still muted I might need to find him to unmute him. I can't find him in the uh, panel right now. There we are. I couldn't get the mouse to move. Okay. Uh, I think it says, "Happy, happy oh, birthday, it, happy some." It, it, you know what? The the, the thirty five millimeter print is a, bl a bit blurry. Okay, so it might say "Happy twentieth birthday, Coco" or something. Like yeah, that. it was the twentieth birthday. Okay. Cool. So the whole idea of a cocoa birthday cake is was was used yeah, again. Just... <laughs> yep. Eighteen years later. <laughs> 
So this next one here is from uh, June of 1983. Now this kind of had, I'm assuming this is one of those stock things. It's not even a photo. It's more like a yeah, piece of art. Yeah, it's a drawing. Now, I'm guessing from your look on your face, this was not a happy decision for you. No, to I, I hated this whole era. Uh, we were doing stuff for people that weren't making any money for us who were going to make us rich. You know, if you get in, if you get in the bookstores, wonderful things are going to happen. And here's how you get in the bookstores. And Yet, we, I don't think they understood the target audience because, I mean, no. yours was definitely the hardcore techie. Yep. Color computer community. Rainbow was more the, the you know the, the the casual user style ones. Yep. So I mean, it was carried at a store here that actually did a fair bit of low level stuff. They sold hardware and they even sold software for the color computer, along with you know TI ninety nine and Vic twenty and Apple twos and everything else too. So well, it was it was a giant ego stroke to walk into my local Barnes and Noble and see that my my magazine was on the shelf and I hadn't put it there. But, you know, we, it, it was a terrible business decision to sell through national distribution to bookstores. Yeah, I, I guess, and especially in the long run and financially, especially, but in my case, it actually helped because I wouldn't have discovered CCN without, without that. And then I went back and bought some back issues and stuff too. Like I was, I was young enough. I didn't have a full-time job yet, so I couldn't afford a subscription, but I would, you know, pick them up as I could afford them type thing. So. Yeah, but what you didn't realize, if you'd picked up the phone and called me and said, I can't afford it, we'd have put you on anyway. We, we <laughs> gave know, I, away. I would have been too scared to call somebody in the States or the phone bill would have you know, got my parents thrown me out of the house. We, <clears> we <throat> gave away a fair number of subscriptions to to kids. Yeah, you were very community oriented. I mean, you can go to some of the awards and some of the, the columns that you mentioned here and how you accepted articles and stuff, which most people would not have accepted handwritten articles. That you you know the publisher would have to retype in and then try to debug to make sure they actually worked. Um, that that did not happen in other magazines. It was like no. you know, give it a cake, set or disc, and that's it. Yep. So you were very much a, a community magazine of hardcore. Well, we were. We started out as a very small community, and if and if we all worked together to make it grow, it would grow. You know. How come you didn't just put the color computer on the front of the magazine? We had plenty of different versions. Oh, that's coming up, yeah. Ron. We're yeah, we're we're gonna get there. I, I mean, at the beginning, you guys just did uh, like I think two color fronts, and that's cheaper than doing four color artwork. So right. I mean, that's probably part of it was the cost issue. I'm guessing. Yep. There's the uh, actual Coco three cake from Penfest 2000. Yes, uh, straight from the 35 millimeter archive box of the most photographed Coco event. Yeah, it kind of felt like sacrilege to cut the cocoa into pieces and then eat it. I don't even remember if I don't even remember if it was good cake, but it it was cake. Okay. <laughs> Next up, we actually showed this one here last month when we did the Dragon Talk special because we had a whole bunch of people from the UK and Europe on for a mega show of six hours uh, talking about dragon stuff here. And of course, you actually got a Dragon Thirty Two here. Now, the Dragon yep. Sixty Four was sold by Tano, and you were kind of announcing that that was happening, but it wasn't out yet. So this is actually a UK Dragon. There was a UK version that we bought. <laughs> The the most difficult thing in that cover was finding a, dra a stuffed dragon. <laughs> uh, that's taken in my in, my, in this basically the same area as that first picture. Uh, but we we bought that from a distributor in the UK. It took forever to get here, and the the little stuffed dragon took longer to get. 
I was going to ask you, what was your opinion of the Dragon Gun? I mean, because basically it, it addressed some of the problems that Coco had, like a, yeah. a crappy keyboard and you know, yeah. had a built-in parallel port. And... Yeah, it, it was basically the color computer fixed. Yeah, I'm, that's basically my attitude of it as well. And then you kind of got in the artsy photos of color computers here. So this next one here, which is from August of 1983, and my my apologies, the cover's getting kind of worn, so it's, you know some of the... Uh, that's a good sign. Inks. It's like, oh, no, mine are well read. A couple of those are actually have the covers taped on because I used it so much the covers fell off. But um, So this one, you kind of went for sort of an airy, I don't know, like it's almost yeah, like dry ice. It is dry ice. Um, I hired a photographer who came in, and it was a photographer. Uh, we hired a photographer, a model, and some other guy who sent me a bill, and I said, what exactly was it that you did for me? Well, I was there for creative consulting. He sent you a bill. That's what he did. Yeah, that's yeah. what he, he did. He must have been talking to those lawyers you were referring to earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and all of the all of the covers coming up and probably 200 more that we never used were all shot in the course of like four days. Um, and this is one of them here then. And okay. that's one of them. And maybe I'm getting ahead, but you mentioned model and my 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 mind is already going down to the dark side but there was a period of time Frank where Hawk? there was a period of time where it was very popular to show like women in nightgowns and negligees like modeling uh, some piece of technology did you ever have any of that kind of uh, we scantily you... clad women in adverts in the advertising yes uh, yes <laughs> yeah, i'm thinking frank, frank probably yeah frank did was... we never used it on the cover right. um I went back to, so the building that, that I owned at the time, we used, uh, I, I probably had 10,000 square feet. Most of that was warehouse that sat empty. Um, so they were doing the photo shoot back there, and I went back a couple of times, and the model was um, not modest. <laughs> Yeah. Which I guess would kind of appeal to some of the hardware and software hacker types, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that the photographer was using my dime to take some extra shots. No. And then here's a kind of the sad one, though. It's got a rather bizarre cover. Um, and this is the only time you went to a square bond. You were kind of a open fold yeah. up on this point. And there's also the only issue where you went to fully glossy. Because most of your uh, CCNs, in the later issues here in 83, you, you would use the more plain you know, ungloss paper for most yeah, of them. You have a few color bits in the middle and a few color bits on the outside. This was the first yep. and only all, all gloss one we did and yep. square bound. Perfect bound. So, yep. Yeah. So this is, uh, no, I, 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 you don't, don't even show it yet. I'm going to predict because I don't remember. I haven't looked at these in a long time. I think this is the one that I got probably a hundred nasty mail about because they didn't like the model on the cover. Am I at the right one? Uh, and if you if, if if the model is a little bit hairy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of ladies who really didn't like this cover, and as I recall, two people canceled their subscription because when they took it out of the mailbox, they were horrified. Can you guys predict what this is going to look like? I'm going to take a, a vote from the panel here on this one. Uh, does is it a bearded Del lady? <laughs> what was that, Stevie? Is Ron Delvo on the cover? <laughs> <laughs> is he the bearded lady we're referring to? So I will mention that this actually has a, a later model, Coco One. You can tell because the Radio Shack uh, thing is moved to the middle of the uh, case, and it's got a, a Mark Data Products Pro keyboard in it too, which is actually still my 
favorite keyboard of all time. But here's the model he's referring to. Oh, the spider on oh. the keyboard. That is very So what artistic. is the story behind this cover? I have The to story ask. behind the cover is it was going to be a bugs issue. And it, it's a funny coincidence. If you, if you follow me on Facebook, and I'm sure none of you do, uh, I just posted yesterday that you shouldn't be killing wolf spiders because of the, the good things that they do. Uh, spiders and bats are, should be revered by humans as being uh, our best friends on the planet because they eat all the nasty bugs. And it was, we took the cover that, that was actually, we talked earlier about my baby brother. That was actually his pet. Uh, we put it on and we snapped the picture and uh, it molted the next day. Um, and it was going to be an all bugs issue. And in, in sitting around talking with people, we decided pointing out bugs in, micro, in Microsoft, in Tandy's software was probably not the best business decision we could make since we were trying to talk with Tandy about becoming a sponsor of the, the magazine, not just an advertiser, but a sponsor. Do you, do you but, remember the uh, pet tarantula's name off chance? It had a human name. It was like Kevin or something like that. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be Coco. No, no. I believe it. I believe it was Kevin. Kevin, which actually happens to be my brother's name. I mean, he looks like a Kevin when you, when you yeah. look at him there. So yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is where you went and you had, had like numerous, you know, some full color ads. I'll just show one here. This is Mark Data Products. And, and that's why we went to it because they wanted they wanted the front open spread um, and they wanted it full color. And so we were able to do the full color, color uh, cover because basically they were paying for it. And here's one, here's one of the two color ones, which is a red and, and black, basically. Electronics and some Tom Mix actually doing some grayscale before they got into the full color ads there too. So, unfortunately, that was the last issue. And um, it was. I, I'm going to show one other thing before we get into the story of the end of it. But you actually, the last three months, you actually published a sister magazine, which was devoted to uh, basically Motorola 6800, 6809. Was this including 68002? Was that the plan? Yeah. Yep. So it's called Forum 68, and this is the uh, third issue here, which actually is the same month as the last season, and I believe this is the last issue of this, because everything yep. kind of capsized at once. Yep. And I like that one. It's also square bound, though it's a bit thinner, um, glossy paper, um, ads for your own stuff, but lots of ads for stuff like gimmicks and microware, and like I'll show this here, because this is actually both of them combined here. So there's microware on the one side, and here's gimmicks with their, their price list. You know, if you wanted to get a good size gimmicks machine, you'd be spending like $7,998. Yeah, gimmicks one hard drive should be on the back cover. Drive. It should be on the back cover, too. Oh, yeah, that's their, their full color ad. If you guys want yeah. to see what a, a gimmicks looks like. It was a very nice computer. So yeah. on the cover, it looks like they're performing surgery. It looks like, you know, like yes. a surgical gown, and inside the patient is a floppy yeah. disk. So, so you want to hear the story of the cover? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So the cover has absolutely nothing to do with anything 6800-based. Uh, again, Remarkable Software did software, business software. And earlier in the week, one of my business customers called up and they were having a problem with the, uh, with, with the software. And I said, well, what, I, what I'd like you to do is just 
handwrite a note, take the floppy disk, shove it in an envelope with the handwritten note, email, mail it to me. Don't email it to me. You can't do that. Mail it to me. Uh, the eight-inch floppy arrived in a business size envelope, folded carefully in thirds. So it was destroyed, right? Well, I managed to cut open the case, take the magnet magnetic media out of it, take a good one and slide it into that and recovered all the data. So I did surgery on a eight inch floppy disk and that's what was the inspiration for the cover. Now, is this something that you guys actually took a photo yourself as well in the stock photo? This is something you no, guys we, created? we did that. Yeah. Like were you using like professional hand models and stuff for this or is this some of the staff? No, I think, I think, I think the, I'm pointing at it. You can't see what I'm pointing at. Aren't you? I, I think the two, the body facing you, I believe that's me. So that'd be in the gray here, right? Yeah. So you've actually done open disc surgery. I have actually done open disc surgery. <laughs> uh, I recovered a floppy disc that had the note stapled to it at one point, And I recovered one that had been folded in thirds and stuck in a standard business envelope. Wow. So people actually folded floppies and, and stapled stuff to them and then send yep. them to you to use. Yep. I'm surprised they didn't send it to you in a nice magnetic case. <laughs> Or did that happen to? I don't know. I had my son run into the room showing me his brand new horseshoe magnet one day. <laughs> there was panic throughout the entire office. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, the, the difficulties we had back then that have, that don't even exist anymore are, are sometimes mind-blowing. Yeah, like magnets. I mean, yeah, I, I remember. I, I don't even think about them anymore. I remember some friends of mine across the street when they first got their first home computer, they actually uh, bought a, a game disc for their kids or something and then put it up on the fridge with a magnet to, uh, so the kids <laughs> would find when they got home from school. Didn't work. No, I actually found a degaussing coil as I was moving. Oh, wow. That's, there's a useless piece of tech. You know, what disconcerted <laughs> me is I got a uh, windows laptop. It's a real thin one and it has a flap cover and it had magnetic strip on it, and it would close with a magnet. And I thought, <laughs> is this right? Can you do that? That can't Evidently. be right. No, yeah. So <clears throat> that, that comes to the end of CCN and Form 68, for that matter. Now, this is when a whole bunch of things happened at once. And I know some of it you probably don't want to go into great detail about. But some of it I think you probably could. Like you are mentioning weather disasters. Like there's a whole bunch of things that happened at once that kind of just shut the whole thing down and... Did you want well, to talk about that? I did. We, the big parts, the big part is we'd been in discussion with Canoe Magazine about them buying us out. And they, we were doing a number of things for them at their instruction so that things were, the transition was going to be nice and we were going to, it was going to work out very well. And, I was being naive because I, I have this personality flaw. When you look at me and speak to me and look me in the eye, I think you're telling me the truth. And, you know, that's a flaw that still haunts me to this day. Uh, and the. Uh, I think that's more a problem with other people than you, but okay. Well, so we were doing things specifically to get things ready to go. We were talking with, again, I'm using we where I should be using I. I was talking with Wayne Green. Uh, about transitioning some other stuff. Uh, I was selling off 
the accounting part of the business at the same time. Uh, my soon after that to be ex-wife was upset that we were funneling savings into the business. Uh, we had weather disasters and everything came together and we just, I just could no longer afford to support the magazine. And a lot of it came about because we had, if you browse through those, those magazines, uh, pretty much everybody who's advertising there that's not a full page ad uh, is was not paying for their advertising and so we were operating at a loss all the time and paying salaries and it just got to the point where i couldn't afford to do it anymore uh color computer magazine was suddenly there and it became obvious they were lying and that wasn't going to happen um uh, and we just just couldn't continue. Yeah, that that, that was sad. I, I do remember that because a lot of us were expecting the next issue because it, it you, you know there was no pre announcement or anything. Obviously, no. um, like some some magazines when they know they're winding down, they'll give you a warning like you know this is going to be a last issue or we're going to sell the mailing list to so and so and you might get a well, of whatever type thing. We we gave the mailing list to Wayne Green. You were supposed to get. Uh, what was it, 80 microcomputing to finish out your subscription. Um, and they they mentioned then that they were coming out with hot cocoa or they just had. And some people were going to get the choice of one or the other. Uh, so we made no money on, on the mailing list, but it was very important that people got something from it. Uh, I thought 80 microcomputing was a better choice than some of the other places we could have gone to. But And honestly, at that point, I was emotionally drained. Uh, I couldn't continue anymore. Yeah. So that brings up the, the final question where we can kind of segue into what, what happened after, like, what, what did you do, you know, in the years following and then what are you doing now? So like, I don't know how much of your life story you want to talk about here, but. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a fairly open book, you know, and if I've surprised people every now and then somebody will pop up saying, Oh, I found you. Well, I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google, I Googled myself uh, after I got your uh, your list of questions just to see, you know, how hard am I to find? And boy, I'm really easy. In fact, you can find my phone number on the internet. Um, the first time I looked for you, uh, 20 years ago when I started my games website, I was actually trying to get a hold of people from the you know, early days of the Coco just to do email interviews. So we didn't have all this video stuff. And at that time I tried finding you and I had no luck whatsoever, but that's like 1997 or eight or something like that. So, yeah. Well, the, uh, immediately after that, it, it took me about six months to recover emotionally. And I went to work for, uh, a small company that they, they needed an engineer really badly, but what they really needed was ethics. And, so as, as is often the case, it took me a couple of jobs to find one that I would stick with for a while. Um, the, uh, the first company wanted me to write software for them and make them millionaires. And, you know, I, I once again, it's another person I disappointed by not making them rich. Um, I finally started finally being like a year later, uh, settled in writing embedded software for folks with on 6502 processors. Uh, did that for about three years, became a, got a job with a Fortune 100 company uh, as a senior engineer, 
and eventually spent the last 20 years of my engineering life with uh, a Fortune 500 company being the senior, senior system architect. Um, we did a bunch of interesting stuff with too small a staff, but it was all fun stuff. Is this when you were doing like the Newton? You said you did some of the. Little I little did that. That was yeah. I did that as a contracted thing. We did the uh, the memory manager for it. I don't know that they ever finally included it. The uh, the biggest takeaway from working with Apple is they have the best croissants anywhere. <laughs> you didn't have to go back to Cincinnati or something to. No, no, they they were right there and they were amazing. You're saying I, Apple's? I did, sorry, you're saying Apple's croissants were better than Lonnie's bagels. They they absolutely were. <laughs> and they rented all of Disneyland for us for one night. So that was kind of fun. Uh, so I did that. Did a lot of engineering for about 45 years ago. And then at, I think I was 58, I, I retired because at 56, I contracted a disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which put me in a wheelchair. Uh, it was a little tough because I'd been a competitive power lifter for all of my life. If those of you not familiar with powerlifting, I pick up heavy stuff for no apparent reason. Um, Best description of it ever. Yeah. Uh, so I stuck in a wheelchair and started to do some research and discovered that all of the really amazing medical discoveries being made nowadays, nowadays being the last 20 years, have not been done by doctors. They've been done by engineers who said, enough's enough. We need to understand what's going on. Um, I opened a gym, realized that gyms are stupid. I don't like to be involved in things that are stupid. Uh, I, became, I became a board-certified health coach. Uh, I researched how to put this disease in remission. Uh, so on my 60th birthday, I lifted one-handed a 130-pound uh, girl over my head. Uh, my 63rd, I rode my bike 100 miles nonstop. On my 64th, I put on a harness and pulled a semi 100 yards um, and became really involved in helping people who have diseases that are not getting helped by the American medical system. Uh, so as a, as a health coach, what I do is I go to doctor's appointments with people and help them understand what the doctor is trying to tell them and advocate to the doctor for them. Uh, I help them with diet and exercise. Uh, I own a little company called The Bar and Plate. It's a little play on words because in order to be really healthy, you need to have two things in control, your diet and your exercise, the bar and the plate. Uh, I employ other trainers and physical therapists. Uh, we work really hard at making people who can't help themselves learn how to help themselves. Is there a website the for that we can plug? Yep, barandplate.fit. Uh, and you're also a judge in competitions too, aren't you? I, I am... There are, yes. So there's one of my other really proud moments. There are eight martial referees, powerlifting referees. There are three levels of those, national, international, and martial. There are eight martial referees in the world. I'm one of them. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. I've uh, been an international referee for a long time. Vice president of the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Federation. We 
follow water rules for powerlifting, which is not an Olympic sport. Uh, so just every year on my birthday, I try to do something that a an old guy with a debilitating disease uh, shouldn't be able to do. Ankylosing spondylitis, if you're not aware of it, you see the little old ladies who are all hunched over? That's the disease. Uh, when you're diagnosed, you're usually, it's usually assumed that you're going to live about 10 to 15 more years. Uh, I'm 20 years into it and still competing in powerlifting competitions. Uh, we're really good at helping people with, uh, with metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, obesity, osteoporosis. And we're working with a uh, victim of a gunshot wound right now to get him, his lower body to work again. Wow. So I'm, I'm really fascinated with the way the technology can be married with the human body. And as I showed earlier, I wear constantly wear all kinds of, this is not an ordinary ring. If I can get this off and get it close to the camera, you'll see it's, it's the ring is full of sensors. Um, on the other hand, on the other wrist, same sort of gizmo. Uh, it's monitoring all kinds of stuff in my body all the time. Uh, me, because I'm a nerd with it, and with my clients, it's to figure out what's going on. So we, we monitor the sensor data and lab, lab tests, and we adjust their diet and their exercise to help them live better lives. Now, now question that, do you... Do you do this remotely as well? I mean, especially with COVID, I'm imagining you well, do like, it's, like it's, for it's, any of our viewers that might be interested in actually yes. doing this. So the interesting thing for, for us is when the COVID lockdown came down, um, we were one of the only fitness people who were ready to go because I've been, I train people in over 60, 60 countries right now. Um, so we transitioned all the in-person people to online people and we were up and running later the same day. Uh, so we have our own apps for uh, diet and exercise. Uh, we use Zoom calls for all of these people. So uh, we we really specialize in people who have anything that would be considered a meta metabolic part of metabolic syndrome. Uh, so if you're taking so an example, people will come into our center. And the first question is always, how's your health? Well, my health is very good. Great. What medications are you on? If you answer with any of them, any medication you routinely take, then your health is not good. I had one just recently. Well, I take two blood pressure medications and metformin. Metformin is the drug for diet type 2 diabetes. Your health is not good. Uh, if, you're, if, you're watching, if you're watching COVID the way that we're watching COVID, to date, no one has died of COVID that didn't have underlying metabolic issues. So if you if you want to, so this is not my statement about whether or not you should be vaccinated. That's up to you. Uh, the vaccine is is a very viable alternative to getting really sick. It's one of many very viable alternatives. But if you are metabolically healthy, you will probably have fewer problems than if you did if you did nothing other. Yeah, the core morbidity thing that you know, exactly. doctors have always been talking about. I just posted in, in our group, uh, The Economist has a great interactive graph uh, showing uh, 
your chances of dying or being or being hospitalized with COVID based on your age and your health life conditions. Um, I can send you a link to that. It's very fascinating hmm. to all of us nerds who like pretty graphs and numbers. Yeah, well, another observation I'm seeing here is it seems like your present is kind of mirroring or echoing your past where with the uh, color computer news, you were trying to um, provide a platform for a certain community. It seems like now with your health coaching, you're kind of doing a similar thing. You're creating a new platform of helping out a different community now. And this is literally life changing, which is even better. Yeah. Um, so God well, bless you to that. And amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. Cause I, I see it exactly the same way. You know, um, we were open source before there was open source and now we're trying to be open source health. Um, uh, and I, I don't care what country you're in. Your healthcare system is a mess because it's not a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. And we're trying to become part of the healthcare system. But thank you. Those are some of the kindest words anybody said. Yeah, Other you're than trying the to promote health as opposed life. to try to cure sickness. You're, you're not, you don't want to right. wait till they're sick and then start dealing with it. You want to exactly. deal with it up front. We have, we have some tests that we can do that will predict your, your chances of dealing with a metabolic syndrome up to 10 years out. And it's using some artificial intelligence. Uh, we didn't develop it, but we have access to it. And we use it on a regular basis. Um, and it, it, just like the magazine, you know, I'm, I'm really easy to get a hold of. If you want to just talk about your health, I'm delighted to talk to you about it. You don't have to be a customer to get the information. Cool. cool. I, I noticed like Stephen had already posted the link in the uh, the chat, so it can be uh, bar recorded on the dot fit. Yeah, bar and plate dot fit. Yeah. yeah, and if you go to our to our Google listing, you, you'll si find that we're updating the uh, pictures. Um, Twenty-two percent of all gyms failed during during 2020. Uh, we grew, uh, so we had to move into a bigger digs. Um, because we change the emphasis, you know, if you're, if we have people come in and say, how much to join your gym? Well, you can't join our gym because we don't have a gym for you to join. We have a training center and we, we would like to help you live a better life and live long and healthy. I explain to people, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how old are you? So I'm going to be 105. And they go, uh, what? Oh, good for you. I just figured out what you're showing me. Yeah, when you said uh, he healthy life, yeah. You're muted. Your audio, your, yeah. your audio's off. Yeah, that was my uh, live long and prosper, as you were saying. Yeah, you live long and prosper with, yeah, with, your, with your aura ring? Yeah. Is that an aura on your finger? It is finger? not actually an aura ring. It's just a, a ring a friend of mine made for me. But I'd be interested in an aura ring, though. I, I'm wearing the aura on this side and the whoop on this side. If you're choosing only one, you want the aura. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm easy to find. Uh, I'm happy if you would want to put my email address in your show notes, you're welcome to do that. Give it to us now. I'll throw it out in the live chat. It's billsias at gmail.com, B-I-L-L-S-I-A-S at gmail.com. If you go to the ADFPF website, you'll find my phone number. 
If you call me, I will ignore you. If you leave a message, I'll call you back. Cool, cool. Well, um, do, and I don't, I don't want to cut you short, but we still have a little bit more show to do. So I, yeah. I, guess, I guess I would just say to the people in the panel and the people in the audience now, and I want to make sure we, you, Bill, I want to make sure you got a chance to cover everything else non-Cocoa that you wanted to plug that you're doing now. Have we missed anything that you wanted to get out there, any I, messages or plugs or anything? The, the only thing I want to plug is I want you all to be healthy. Get outside, get some vitamin D, eat good food. Exercise is important, especially among those of us that like to spend their time in the chair staring at a screen. Amen to that. Uh, and then on the panel in the audience, do we have any more questions for Bill uh, regarding yeah. the past, the present, the future? Yes, Ron. Dovell? I got two. Okay. <clears throat> First of all, I wondered if you uh, realize what's happened to the cocoa since you left it years ago. You know, all the different things that we've added to it. And then the other thing is maybe come to uh, Cocoa Fest and bench lift 100 Cocos. <laughs> so the answer to the first one is no, I've not, not stayed aware. Um, I had to walk away from it. I had to turn my back on it because you got some interesting candy stuff laying there. Yeah. Um, and I, I would be happy to come come lift some Cocos for you. I, I'm certain. I'm certain I can do way more than a hundred of them. Cool. Yeah, they're pretty light. I just took a random number. <laughs> Power lift. Yeah, some of the old CRT. Uh, I'm going to be in VCF Midwest next weekend, and there's some big iron there. So maybe a power lift on an old uh, mainframe might be a little more apropos. Or or, or a monitor. <laughs> yeah, Any an CRT old, tube. Yeah, yeah some of those old 20 inch, 60 pound ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And now I have four screens behind you that behind the, the laptop I'm on that uh, probably weigh five pounds. I know. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. Uh, any, well, any further questions from the panel or the and, chat? And feel free to stay longer if you want, Bill. We don't want to kick you off the show, but I do want to make sure we get we got a couple more segments to cover, too. But um, definitely appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for the invitation. I, I, I struggled with the decision at first. Um, Curtis will tell you I didn't answer right away. I told him I had to think about it. I just figured you're busy. Uh, no, it's busy, and, and that was a fairly traumatic time in my life. The end of it was traumatic. Yeah. Um, so I decided, well, what the heck, let's let's see. It might be fun. Turns out it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, what, and I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here with this show because this show is really an, an amalgamation of the community, but I think what we're trying to do here with this show and what I'm observing too is that the things we're doing here on a weekly basis is on one hand, we're celebrating the past and we're talking about history, but I think we are also creating future history because 20 years from now, the, you know, people are going to be looking back at what we're doing on this show, talking about the past and the current project, because there is a present for the cocoa and there is a future for the cocoa. So I think we're all a, a page in a book that hopefully will never close. And so it's it to me, it's most poignant and most relevant to hear about the, the, the pioneering piece of this story. And as we move forward, you know, as we talk to people who are making the new software and the new hardware, we're 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 also kind of documenting the past, the present, and the future. So it, it's it's great for us to have a small piece of a of a pie that you help create, you know. And well, thank you. the fact that thank we're you. all here in this community still here and the passion you had forty years ago still lives, it's live and well today is absolutely amazing, you know. Well and and I I agree and I 
get a kick out of the fact that I I hire a lot of young people to work for me who are always amazed that I can use my phone more skillfully than they can. <laughs> and I explained, you know, you guys didn't invent this stuff. We did. Right. You're, you're all users of it. You, you can thank us anytime you want. It's the old guys that did it. Yeah, I think the people who were in the 80s, I think that was probably the last time where we lived in a time where literally things existed for the first time in history that had never existed before. Because ever since then, it's just been new versions of something. Yeah, then. refinements. You know, exactly. refinement. So we lived in a time where yep. literally things appeared for the first time in history. You know. Yep. Um, I used to, I used to say that my grandfather lived in the most interesting time because everything changed. I realized I was wrong. I lived in the most interesting time. Everything yeah. has happened in my lifetime. I remember supersonic jets. Moonwalk. The moon. The moon Moonwalk. landing. Color TV. Black and white TV. You know. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The internet. All that stuff. Yeah. Which we're all on right so now. So I'm going to finish with one last thing, and I, I'm going to kind of hang around, but I got to get caught up on the all the messages I got. Uh, every year on my birthday, I do something that sick old man can't do. My birthday's coming up on the 30th of the month. If you watch, if you join me on Facebook, I'll let you know what ridiculous thing I'm going to do this year. <laughs> cool. All right. I also wanted to give you a personal thanks for me, too, because uh, when I started reading CCN, we had some club members in our local club that actually were, were getting it before I did. But I, out of all the magazines around the time, my favorite was CCN. I, I, I liked Rainbow for advertisements, and I liked Rainbow for game reviews because I was a kid. I mean, I, I liked that, doing that stuff, too. But all the hardcore stuff, like putting a Model 3 keyboard into a Cocoa case, it was one of the articles and stuff, and just insane stuff. You'd never seen Rainbow. And and for a few of us hardcore people, and I can mention a rattle off, a bunch of names from back in the time but thank you so much for having the the technical magazine that the hardcore software and hardware people could go to and i, I just you. wish it had lasted longer thank you me too so i'm going to take it ridiculous things uh that uh, men your age should not do does not include being on this show <laughs> <laughs> well then i will not be here on my birthday <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Bill. Thanks for everything you've given us in, uh, in the past and especially today. Some history. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Uh, likewise. Um, and in the interest of saving time, we're going to skip commercial breaks and we're going to roll into the Game On segment, if that's okay for everybody. Unless, Ron, do you need a potty break? Yeah, I can always use one. Okay. Well, Ron is our is our kind of our barometer on, on the... Uh, on that so so if ron says we need a potty break we will take a break um so we'll take a short break and then we'll be back with with uh, game on um so we're going to do another musical musical interlude since you guys heard the i want candy so another little musical track and we'll be back after these words folks potty time Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rum. Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball. But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Sailor Man and Firefall Go on a rampage for some super pitfall Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back 
Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway It's got a road And it's got a car Dodge the furniture And you'll be a pop star Left till we're back from break, and then I'll um, have really all that okay. nightmare highway, nightmare highway, nightmare highway. I used to bow down to the donkey king, grabber and cash man used to be my thing, mega bug, buzzard bait, sea dragon, too. But none of those can satisfy me much as you do. Nightmare Highway. Sing along if you know the words. Nightmare Highway. Yeah, it's even Nightmare make them up. Fake it till you make it. If you can't find it, grind it. Nightmare Highway. <laughs> Nightmare Highway. 28 seconds in counting. I'm going to go into all I mentioned there's a new Cocoa Thoughts. We'll play Cocoa Thoughts. We'll get the reaction. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Good job, Elfer. All right, we're just going to go straight into it. Commando, bareback. Do it live. Coming soon. Cocoa Thoughts. By Samuel Gimes. Let's all go catch some popcorn. Let's all go catch some popcorn. Let's all go catch some popcorn on Game On this week. And now, our feature presentation. A second. Okay, so that was it. Okay, I was a little confused, and I'm also. I, I I think we are the feature presentation. Yes. Okay. All right. Samuel Gimes. Good job there, Mr. Gimes. Oh Lord, have mercy. All right. So popcorn game on results. Thank you, Mr. Gimes. And now, let's see what those results were. High score challenge. All right, and welcome to this week's results. This week we played Popcorn with 20 scores submitted. Exile in Paradise, 11,980. Rich N, 14,960. Bob and Coco, 15,580. Brian Walsh, 17,460. Deb, 19,650. S. Orchard, 20,380. Canadian Retro Things, 23,660. Gary M, 24,150. Mr. Dave, 24,800. Tasman, 26,080. Jim Rye, 26,450. Damon Beals, 27,550. Pedro Pena, 28,270. Tom C, 32,290. Just Mike, 32,730. Rick U, 33,520. Sleepy Malibu, 34,280. David Craker, 50,940. Buck Owens, 86,960. 
And the number one score this week belongs to Paul Shoemaker oh, with 110,860. He rolled the score. Thank you to all this week's participants. Jeez. Wow, Paul Shoemaker. That's a surprise. Sneaking in there, flipping the scoreboard on popcorn. I didn't think, you know, it's hard to imagine scores of that caliber. Um, we got some dedicated players this week. Far out. Um, yeah, that, that's a pretty amazing score. I, I didn't get a chance to participate. I actually, I, I finished work literally about 15 minutes after the cutoff. So uh, you didn't good. have time while you were a microwave and a Couldn't burrito? Even, no, I had to skip the burrito and just work. Yeah. I had a deadline to hit, so. I, I just wanted to, uh, again, to thank you to Bill, but there's been a ton of thank yous in the comments too. So I thought maybe I'd rattle a few those off quickly before we get into the discussion of popcorn and strategy. Um, Exxon Paradise says, glad you shared all that. Uh, Tim Gilbert is one of the Dragon guys we had on Dragon Talk. That was really interesting. And I've been thinking for a while that we should have more monitoring. Do any of yours do O2, which I believe is oxygen? Um, so I don't know if Bill's still on the call, but if he wants to answer the question about whether the sensors that he's been using actually monitor your oxygen as well in the bloodstream. Yes. Okay. So there's your answer, Tim. Um, I got an email already. I'll respond. A couple of emails already. I'll respond to those yet today. <clears throat> okay. Excellent. Paradise also uh, says, indeed, you can't really know where you are unless you know where it started. And that's that's very true. It's one of the and reasons I wanted to have you on. So You also need, yes. You don't learn from the past unless you know what the past was. Uh, Bill, thanks for doing this. Loved hearing your stories. This has been an extremely interesting interview. Uh, thank you, Bill Sias. Freaking fantastic interview. Um, and then there's some comments that Stevie was trying to sing along with the song during the commercial. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Forgot that my mic was... Uh, yeah, back to popcorn. So Yeah, forgot my mic was hot on that one there. But listen, listen that was the bonus content, hearing me sing on top of... Uh, <laughs> you know, somebody's got to compensate for Bruce's half-assery, so... Uh, Stevie <laughs> takes a song and makes it its own. Yeah, make, makes it to where no one wants to hear it. I think and it's better when you're con- singing along to music that no one can hear. That's, oh, even, that's better. even better. Yeah. And by bonus content, he means you get internal hemorrhaging for free, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no additional cost to you. All right. So we're talking about popcorn. A bunch of people played it. Paul Shoemaker yeah. flipped it over 100,000. Uh, I wish Steve was here today, Steve Bjork, on, on the program. But I remember in the past, he's when he's been on, he's mentioned, was that one of the games he actually hand-assembled? Before it is the last it? one he hand-coded. Before like he, he didn't even have an assembler. assembler. He had to literally poke everything in, yeah. test it all, write it all on paper. It's a, it's a, insane. It's a great game. I, I know he kind of looks at that one, you know, one of his first games, and um, he was saying that, yeah, you know, one of these days I'll make Zaxxon look like popcorn, you know, just kind of use an analogy saying things can always be better. Um, but popcorn wasn't a crap game, you know. It was a cool game based on Avalanche, yeah. uh, minimalist but fun. Maybe right, was, yeah. and, but it fit on a 4K cartridge, right? It was a small thing, right? So, yeah, I really like the way the gameplay kind of flipped on you. So you started out, it's a paddle. There's stuff dropping. It's vertical, but then it got fast, and you had your wall of paddles, and it's horizontal. You're slapping side to side to hit things. But then you run out of paddles, and it's vertical again. So I got kind of dizzy playing this. <laughs> you need two different patterns to play it successfully. Depending on the speed level and how many paddles you have, but that's true. Very true. I, I wish Paul would have been on here, too, to talk about it, because I've never wrapped it. I've never even come close to wrapping yeah. it. So I'm kind of curious what his strategy was to, to actually accomplish that. Now, that's surprising that you haven't accomplished something like that. 
No, there's only certain games I'm really good at. That's why I usually place like maybe top ten, but I'm not first most of the time. So I'm no Buck Owens. And would, was popcorn available on the? Because I know a lot of Steve's early stuff were basically just ports of what something Bob Bishop had done for the Apple II, like Mega Bug was one, and Micro Painter was another. So did popcorn exist on the Apple II, Mark Overholzer? Do you know or something like? I that? do not remember seeing it ever. No. So this was an original, or an original for the no, Cocoa, obviously yeah, inspired Avalanche, by Avalanche. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think Audio Spectrum Analyzer he also hand assembled too, right? Yeah, um, which is an impressive program. To- that that one's an interesting one too because at, at some people in modern times, there are you know like audio engineers and stuff that actually know machine code actually went through it and they were pretty impressed with the algorithm it came up. It's actually accurate. It's not mm-hmm. made up like a lot of you know other right. ones yeah. were at the time. Yeah. So good game. Uh, great early early cartridge for the Coco. Uh, Tandy TRS eighty. Yeah, I think it's it had the TRS eighty branding on the on the ROM pack when it first came out. Um, I know when Steve Bjork's been on the past too, he's talked about some of the psychology he put into things too, where, you know, the game gets hard, but then if you lose a life, then he kind of dials it back he a little bit to let you kind of catch yeah. back up to that pace. So it's not like uh, now I'm in murder rapist mode and I die and now it's murder rapist again <laughs> right off the bat. So um, it does kind of peel things back and then yeah. work its way back. Though up it escalates back up quicker than it did before. Yeah, so it's yeah. still but there's a little bit of uh, forgiveness and uh, compassion in the uh, game logic a little bit, which is a good, it's a good design concept to try to adhere yeah. to. I have to say all the game authors I've interviewed in various ways, shapes and forms over the years here that him and Ken Kalish, who was actually a column writer for color computer news back in the eighties too. Um, both of them really thought about the psychology of the games. Like they really did a lot of pre-planning and that I don't know a lot of other game authors. They just kind of winged it and hope the game was good type thing, but they really thought out, you know, how players would react, not just the gameplay itself, but you know, at a psychology level, how the player would react. And that cutting back to easy got me because every time I would get into a zone and I'm catching all of the things and finally I miss one just barely and I die. And then I die again right away because it got easy and I couldn't readapt. No, because you're expecting a certain <laughs> pace. You were, you, were, you were already in the reaction zone of the before and then the after was now it's too Not, easy yeah. i can't do this yeah yeah, yeah. it's so, like driving on a highway you're driving on the you know the highway at 75 miles an hour and then you have to suddenly slow down for a city and everything just feels like it's crawling yeah so that's unlike a nick morenti's game where it's just hard from the start <laughs> crikey uh yeah, you want time. hard uh jason play some of the dragon games it was yeah, right. that the whole european gaming mentality oh the like, pix the pixel perfect yeah that's yeah. All right, well, in the interest of saving time, if we don't have a lot of tips and tricks and commentary, we'll just try to keep moving because we got a lot of show to, to squeeze in. Yeah, so I've, I've uh... got queued up the game that Nick told me in the message because uh, Nick wasn't able to make it. He's not feeling well today of what the game is next week. Unfortunately, I don't do the whole you know surprise thing here. So you'll right, you want to share right screen? Since, since, since yeah, you're not currently share sharing screen. screen, this will be a reveal. So what we're drum roll, everybody. This is next week's game of the week. Wait for it. Wait, Wait for, for it. it. Get ready. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, Tut's Tomb. This was requested, I think, a week or so ago. I think it was David Craker that had asked for this. Um, Mark Data Products. Uh, and yes, guy. it was David Craker and Terry Steen both requested it. Yeah. This is the same guy who made Shock Trooper, right? Rob, Rob yep, Shaw? This is his earlier one. Yeah. So based on Tutankhamun in the arcade, it does not scroll, though. It's a, it's a page flipper where it switches from one screen to the next. You can only shoot left and right. You have four directional movement, but you can only shoot left and right, just like in Tutankhamun. 
Um, plays very much like Tutankhamun in the arcade game. Yeah. You have to gather keys, unlock the locks to get into the next set of chambers. I've got a few screens here kind of leveling, you know, giving you some of the levels and stuff here, but not not the complete game by far. There's a lot more to it. Neat. And Good music there, in it. He's got some four-voice music in it, too. Is so. there only one set of screens? Because your your page here just shows, like, this this map here, and then there's the finish line. Where Does it just keep flipping the levels then and just getting new prizes at the end? Yeah, I mean, basically the way I've got it set up here, the top four screens are kind of merged together to show you what the layout of the level is. And then the one below that is what the prize was when you finish that level. And then I started doing a few screenshots from the second level. Um, but I just nev oh, never bothered getting past that. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. King Tut. Right. Born in Babylonia, got a Congo made of Stona. King yeah. Tut. I will mention to uh, the author here. Um, Rob Shaw, one of the co-authors of this one, he actually has released his stuff to shareware legally so that uh, don't feel guilty about going and grabbing a copy of it from wherever. All of this stuff's been released. So thanks thanks to a lot of the software authors that have actually done that. We've covered a few of their games here in the past. All right. That's the game next week. Get your joysticks out and start shooting. Uh, now, you notice here, we well, there are bats, and we've already been told by Bill that bats are actually creatures to be revered because they eat the, the harmful bugs. So maybe try to go easy on the bats, but get the snakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's keep the show moving, Curtis. So now you're going to just roll us right into Game On News. Yep, that's what I shall do. Get your tabs here. Okay, and what the hell is this? So Antonio oh, Carlos Jimenez. Oh yeah, we're talking about Cocoa Pie stuff. Yes. Yeah. So he he did he played Glenn Hewlett's new Joust Transco, uh -huh. the Transco, the actual official arcade game. But he did it with a twist. He is playing it on his Cocoa Pie, which is a Pi four hundred. But he's doing this through remote desktops. Who's actually the Pie is in a different room type thing, and he's you know remoting all the controls and the screen and everything else, and playing it remotely. You know, yeah. Basically inceptionizing it. A lot of chatter going on in the Cocoa Dash Pie uh, Facebook channel this week. Yeah. This is one of those hold my beers. Is it possible? Well, hold my beer. Let me go find out, yeah. right? And uh, <laughs> so I'll play a little bit of it here, but. Uh... Oh, fast forward. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. Yeah, and actually the frame rate seems uh, okay. I know this is something Microsoft had pushed. They were trying to do remote gaming for a while, you know, with modern machines here. And, uh -huh. You know, for Cocoa Stug. That's not sure. terrible for being a remote desktop uh, connection. Uh, yeah. You know, something that's trying to do either in between 30 to 60 frames per second uh, to have it actually be playable at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. All right. Now, he uh, did mention there's a little bit of lag, but he said it's not too bad. It's actually playable. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So uh, that's cool. Thank you, Tony Jimenez. Uh, been a lot of this chatter, and I do want to chime in on this when we get to the Cocoa Pie section of things. There's been a lot of people talking about wanting to do basic development and how to share source code. So I'll have some, uh, I'll have a, 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 a thing to drop uh, on that topic. But go ahead with this, Curtis. Okay, so this actually turned into a multi-part story later on in the week. So Deborah Maxwell uh, did this, uh, basically converted a, a game called Missile, which was originally for the TSA Model One and Three, and converted to the Cocoa. And of course, the semi-graphics are different shapes there's a you know, two by three grid black and white on the model one and three it's a two by two color one on the cocoa so i kind of converted it over and it's a fairly simple basic game i mean it's it's not you know kind of earth shattering type thing but it's it's a cool little game 
And you're firing up your missiles trying to hit the, the shape as it goes. You get three chances to try to uh, shoot the thing before. It so, of course, across. Jim Gary, you know, within minutes. Speaking of hold my beer. <laughs> decided to convert it for the MC-10. Okay. So here, here it's playing on the MC-10. Hold my beer. All right. So pew, pew. All right. We got one miss. And then this, I mean, going back to the early 80s as a kid, this is the type of games I would write. You know, yeah, I didn't have the yeah, extended basic yeah, in 16K yeah. for high res. So um, this is what you kind of learn programming with was trying to do sure. these types of things. Yeah. Because your mom wouldn't give you that many quarters to go to the arcade. Jim Gary. And then, of course, Jim Gary, last week we mentioned he was doing a conversion of Free Cell uh, and he's completed it. So that one's available for download off of his website too. And he's actually got it running on the online MC10 emulator here. a little bit here now of course with the low res graphics here you can't really draw the cards properly like say the windows free cell does but the game is playable let's specify where yeah. you want to move stuff around etc yeah cool stuff as we've noticed, noted many times before jim jim's a machine he is and jim gary software is also downloadable on the cocoa pie project from a git update so you can yep. always get the latest uh, updates there and now, now one the... thing I was going to mention in the regular news too, but I might as well, you know, kind of announce here. I think most people already know this anyway. Uh, Septandi's returned for the third or fourth year in a row now. Yeah. Which is basically a whole bunch of YouTubers will get together and anything having to do with Tandy. It doesn't even have to be computer related. It could be, you know, CB radios or whatever else, ham radios, anything Tandy was involved with over the years. So, of course, uh, last year we had a ton of Coco content and it uh, looks to be the same this year. So, the first year is a couple games that uh, Allison Denou did and um, some of those she wrote last year there's one that she actually started 40 years ago got it about 75 percent done then kind of lost the tape and you know in the annals of you know desks and drawers and stuff mm -hmm. and then rediscovered it and then finished it up so it's actually completed and, over uh, drive wire no less at this point <laughs> yeah so this this is the one she actually picked up from starting it 40 years Welcome ago once more to Septandi. my name's allison Denou, and this is yet again one of my Coco games. I've moved over to the Coco 2, which I've Snyderized with a nice, uh, what do you call it, composite mod. Thank you, Ed Snyder. And, uh, shameful product placement. LCD, unfortunately, <laughs> instead of a CRT, but it's pretty nice looking. LCD, right, fast forward so a little bit so we can get to the game. Now she said this is the first long term long form game she ever attempted back in the day and then she didn't quite get it done. Okay. She finished it now, so So we have an eighteen. That is a solid stand. Hit S. Boom. Boom. Alright. We have a seventeen. That is also a solid stand. Now here's where it gets tricky. We can hit standard double on this because it's a ten. Double down. Doubling is a thing. Double down. Let's see. 10 showing if I get an ace then it's yeah, know, 21 so that's sweet. an instant grand slam it's like the breakfast Let's see hmm. I'm gonna double double down boom look at that 20 all right push win lose I push lose win that's cool anyway, anyway so, I'll, I'll let yeah. you guys go check the, the rest of the video out yourself or even download a copy of it I believe she's uploaded to Facebook so Thank you, Allison. Good to see you back in the saddle, writing software. And this is the second one, your Jump Ship, which is a high-res extended game that is a turn-based space flying game that you wrote in 2020. And this is one she entered in one of those uh, basic programming contests. 
So okay. I think we played a bit for Green is only a uh, teeny bit of I don't know, 100 oh. units or so, but the uh, maybe a little less. The uh, but the field that the screen is part of is about 500 units. So you know. In okay, so it's a bigger drive. grid than what you see. You kind of pan through it. Yeah. And what is the strategy here? Items. Oh, I like the rotation of that. That looks pretty good. Now, the object, <clears throat> if it reads the script in the bottom yeah. here, the object is fly to teleport actually around and collect fuel cells and return them one by one to your home base. Which mm. is oh, so you're kind of jumping to coordinates to see if there's a fuel cell in that grid. And I yeah. Be... I mean, once again, I'll, I'll let you guys play that. I know we've uh, had a fairly long show. I've got a lot of regular yeah. news to cover today. So. Another, good, another good release there. Allison, thank you. And there's a ton of Septandy stuff already starting, uh, even some Cocoa stuff, and some stuff even pre-scheduled already. Um, this is, of course, our friend Cuthbert Dragon on YouTube has been playing Dragon-based games, which, of course, is the cousin of the Cocoa, and uh, on real hardware, and has added a bunch. Of, most of these we've seen before. A lot of them are the ports from the Cocoa, of course, having to use P-Mode 3 four-color graphics because the artifacting didn't work. There's a couple that I had not seen before here. Uh, Waxworks is kind of an adventure game standard one with you know some built-in scroll protection and stuff. And then there's a basic game called uh, St. George and the Dragons, which is kind of an odd one, so I thought I'd show a little bit of that. St. George, what was he known for? The patron saint of... <laughs> oh, that's a neat uh, screen there. Kind of almost looks like uh, the old kind of wizardry style type, type stuff there. Okay, probably done in basic, just based on the click and yeah, how it is basic. Yeah. copying and pasting of the images on the screen. But no, that's pretty good. You got the dragon. Yeah, breathing uh, fire. The, the oh, human so the dragon can't cross the water, or can it? So you need to get over there and and do the King Arthur put your sword in a stone thing before the dragon gets you. I'm not sure. sure what that box is. And, and the dragon people in the audience who might have played this before can explain it because I don't know what the rules are for this game. Okay. And at the sake of being rude, we're going to keep on moving, though. So, yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Curtis, and thank you, everybody. Sorry, I got to be the time Nazi today. I remember this guy. Yeah. Um, so this is old school games and stories, and he does a playthrough of uh, Canyon Climber. Now, he did not realize that this was actually on other platforms. He thought it was a uniquely Coco game. And this is one that was done by, I think, James Garen and Steve Bjork. And uh, this one actually originated on the Coco and then got ported to the Atari, oh, the Apple II, and some others after the fact. I didn't realize it's one that. The ones that went the other way. So... Because it was on the Atari uh, 8-bit and the um, and the Apple II at, at yeah. minimum. Yeah, and the PC 6001, I think, too, which is a... a yeah, that was the uh, the Japanese one, the NEC something. That's one of the better ones. It's got that cool effect where you changes the graphics modes. Yeah, the, the screen, screen kind of and... shakes and shudders. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, it's a pretty good walkthrough of that one. He doesn't quite make it through the final third stage, but... And that's all I had for Game On News this week, so that was a okay. quickie. Well, then we're going to just roll into, uh, well, then what we're going to do, so what right now it is almost four. So we've got an hour and 15 minutes because I do want to put a heart out at, at five o'clock today because I have a starving family that's going to be waiting on me. So how about we do project updates and acquisitions and then uh, and I'll time, save the rest of the news. And for the then end. time permitting, we'll squeeze as much news in before we run out of that last hour. So um, we're going to go ahead and do updates and acquisitions. That's kind of where we are right now. Um, and so I know, I think Rick Euland, you mentioned you had something to show and tell today. Do you want to start us off? Well, not a heck of a lot, but uh, 
I've decided to make my hobby pay its way, so we have a new website, which is computerconnect.com, 1M. If you okay. You want to pull it up? Through that. You want to screen share and pull that up? or I'm just uh, Let's see. Do so, C-O-M-P-U-T-E-R-C-O-N-E-C-T.com, 1N. Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, let's, let's see if I can do the desktop switch. Okay. Yes, correctly. I see you. I see your desktop. Am I there? Um, I oh, well, you. there's my script. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. Um, let's see. Okay, so, yeah, this is the... Well, the computer connect part is the site. There's my email. Okay, Rick at um, computerconnect.com. Is that the site there on the CM8? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. That's, the web, uh, that's very period correct right there. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress, shall okay. we say. Um, let's see, there's not very much on it right now. I'm actually going to stop this share because I have handheld things. In fact, it's a bunch of old connect stock, so if you want really um, period correct, you know, hardware or software rather. Um, it's there at eBay prices, but you can use Coco Talk to get 15% off of that. Oh, you have a discount code? code Coco Talk with, with no ends in that one. Um, uppercase. Or the Coco Talk <laughs> offer code would make it cost more. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, is there a mixed case on the Coco Talk, or can they spell it any way well, they want? Well, no. It's it's. A, I I think it's all capital. I don't know. This is this okay. is a new Shopify site. I have no idea how it works. All right. Um, the only new hardware we have are these. Dun dun dun. Is that a craft? Craft deluxe oh, joysticks. That's, that's clean. Is that new stock? That new. Yes, new old stock. In oh. fact, you might recognize them as originally looking like this. IBM PC Junior. Yeah, you wrote an article about this for the newsletter. But I, I found a quantity of them, and so you can now buy them with Coco connectors. Ah, so you've already and, uh, modified them. Yes, it's ready to go. Um, tested to make sure it doesn't have that annoying, you can't flip the free thing because the plastic's too rough fixed. Yeah. And, uh, I, I know we've got 3D printed parts now for fixing some of those little internals too, so yes. might be able to repair some other ones too. But so here are new ones that haven't been clicked but once to test them. They still have that new controller um, smell. They still have that new <laughs> controller smell, and they still have the the cord tied up in a little knot as it came. Other than the end, yeah. So you know that's fun. What, um, what badge is on the front of the joystick? I took the badge off. It had a PC Junior joystick. No, oh, okay. It don't need no stinking badges. It don't need no stinking badge. <laughs> but if someone that wasn't me wanted to print a deluxe joystick badge and stick it on the front, it would look just like new yeah. stock candy. Um, I'm also, you know, working on all my other projects. So even if I can't get the stupid serial port, I'm going to get coco io out in one form or another so. I, I was going to ask you rick have you been following uh, jeff and me on on discord because uh, we've been yes i've been contributing to that um because we've actually he he managed to get 1200 baud working as a quick test with some patches to the existing driver that you had had which i'm currently in the middle of assembling now actually i've got the long weekend off so i'm going to be trying to finish that up and uh, then we're hopefully getting that working both with yours and with ed snyder's mega mini mpi i'm going to have to go there because the uh the new TI-16550 does not work with the old national driver. And hopefully that's just a quirk of the old driver. So anyway, we'll have to see how that goes. And uh, 
within the next weeks, I'll have the key fix and I've made a hard drive adapter for the old Tandy drive cases. If anyone ever got the odd urge to connect them to a color computer. Um, wow, been busy. And more to come. Well, I've been busy for a long time. It's just with the chip shortage and et cetera, nothing uh, is available okay. ever to come to market. And I'm just now, you know, I've been waiting a month and a half for a stupid IDC connector for the hard drive adapter, for instance, you know, um, I can't get the right chips for the stupid keyboard fixer. Oh, if I didn't mention that, that's coming too. But the, the, <laughs> the chips through. I can get click, you know, the idea was to make a keyboard fix that didn't change the cocoa in any way. And I'm okay. almost there except it clicks. Okay. So I'm still looking for switches that don't click. Um, but anyway, um, hit the website occasionally and hopefully cool things will appear soon. Computerconnect.com. I like the fact you used the, the Connect uh, name, which you actually was your old company too. So Yeah, I couldn't get any shorter than that and still get a .com. So and in fact, I had to try a whole lot of combinations to find a .com because I didn't want to be a dot .weird or whatever, you know, yeah. else you can get. And anyway. All right, Rick, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, someone else had something to talk about. I don't remember who. who uh, else uh, I, I have something also. So whenever. All right, well, I heard Nick Marenti's first. So uh, we will go <laughs> Well, he's distinct. So he how, how could you quite, not? Right, 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 right. So <laughs> Am I going to uh, spotlight you, Nick? Are you going to show something? Um, well, I've just got a picture. I'll, I'll, I'll throw up a picture. Hang on. Okay. And you can do whatever you want. All right, let me let me spotlight you real quick. I can't spotlight you until you show a video. Okay, so how's that video? Hold on one second. Let me spotlight you, and I gotta find it. All right, you are spotlitting. Oh, homebrew yeah. gaming and bit beginning. Of a, bit of a tough angle, but remember a couple of weeks or months, months. ago, we said that there's a, a book right coming out, and they've uh, that they've uh, mentioned me in it. Yeah, this is the book. It's now been printed. And uh, it features on the cover a graph sheet of my donut dilemma. Yeah, so, that's cool. So, so that's part. That's uh, one of the Tandy. Um, what do you call them? Whatever you call this. Yeah, graph yeah the, sheets, the graph sheet. Yeah, the plotting. Yeah, that, the, the plotting uh, they sheet, yeah. decided. Yeah, plotting sheet that they decided to use for the cover. Wow. So the book is out, and um, it's called Homebrew Gaming. And the beginnings of vernacular digitality. So you can tell well, this is written by a professor. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> this isn't the sort of book you'd buy. It, it you know, it's not full of color pictures and doesn't show you know, pictures of games or or anything like that. It's it's very much a very academic book. It's written by a professor historian who has several books about the video game industry, and it talks a lot about the. Uh, the culture of homebrew gaming, how it started, uh, the and uh, interviews several people who were around at the time to see you know why they did it, how they they did it, and where they are today, and all this. It, it's it's very detailed. It's about over two hundred pages. Wow, you need and, to do a um, sequel on uh, setting up your own home, you know, magazines and stuff too. I think. Yeah, th yeah, I think it does. Yeah, so. A lot of text to, uh, to uh, 
to read through and the, the pages are nice new and slippery so I'm, <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of text it's yeah it's not just a glossy i'm trying to t trying to find there's a well there's even featured my yeah, there, uh, there are some pictures there's my, your uh, gate crashers my gate crasher so i do actually have a very prominent uh several prominent um chapters in the book where apparently i am a case study you're, you're, yeah, you definitely are. A, case. a lot of people say that. <laughs> this is the first psychology class or something, isn't yeah, it? That's right. Most of them are doctors and psychologists that say that. But yeah. this is a professor. <laughs> He's a case study, all right. But uh, yeah, so there's no technical in there. It doesn't really go into any detail about the games themselves. It goes into the culture of the uh, homebrew industry. Um, but it does go into a little bit of technical about my stuff, uh, in which it's just mainly gleaned from my my websites, but uh, it covers. Um, but she she uh, did interview you. What was it like eight years ago? On, on oh yeah, yeah. I was interviewed eight years ago for this. So this this book's been in in development for a long time. You have um, updated her to let you know you have several Ferraris now from your software sales. <laughs> I haven't as yet. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, and it's mainly focused on the Australian, New Zealand um, markets or uh, computer industries or whatever. Um, whereas, you know, which is pretty unique for down here because most books about this are from the US. So this is, a, this is done about talking about the Australian industry, interviews Australian developers. Um, there's a little bit there about right. about the author. So all your neighbors um, are in this book. Yeah, yeah. So so it's not a bad book. It's a little bit more cerebral than most video game books. But it's out. I've got the hardbound cover version, uh, but there is also a Kimball version available on her website which um i'll i'll, I'll send the uh, link to the website i i get it from amazon so uh mark will upload it at the end of the show okay for anyone who wants to uh, get into some cerebral yeah. uh, reading uh that's it there there we go and, and that, that's yeah. the word that comes to mind. When you think Nick Morenti, cerebral is one of those words that immediately pops into your head. So uh, yeah, for right. me, it was always vernacular digitality. That's what vernacular, I think. Vernacular, yes. It sounds almost rude, but yeah, anyway. It almost sounds uh, borderline obscene. Vernacular digitality. Right, so. Well, when I first when I first heard it, I thought, "Oh my God, I'm in a porno book." Um, <laughs> until I looked up what vernacular digitality really. Uh, <laughs> All right, it's not about a disease. Then. <laughs> uh, very cool, uh, Jason, the Coco Man Riker. Did you say you had an update? Jason, you still with us? I put him to sleep. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. I was on the phone. Um, yeah, I let me uh, turn my video back on. There it is. Uh, there we go. Uh, over, uh, you know, I, I've been gone. Uh, let's see, I got my Mark Overhoser hat. Took okay. His vernacular digitality. You're, off. you're a little hot. You come yeah, a little hot. hot. Oh, why am I always a little hot? I keep turning this thing down, and I'm always a little hot. I don't know why. It's like down all the way. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, uh, 
been doing some of the amusement park trips and uh luckily i did i happened to find out that there was going to be a uh, there was a uh, coco uh for sale on facebook marketplace of all places i talked to the guy he didn't want to ship it so it was actually near a theme park i was going to in a couple weeks and he was nice enough to go ahead and hold it for me and what i what i ended up with was um i ended up with uh a uh I ended up with an FD501. Nice. Uh, nice shape. I haven't had a chance to test it. It probably works. If not, I'm sure I can I'm sure I can get someone like David Ladd to fix it, you know. Just beat it with a hammer and knock some sense into it. Yeah. Oh yes. And um, and then uh, I also got in this uh, this bundle um, a black beauty joystick. Ooh, Ooh right? Tandy uh, model. Okay. Yes, tan tandy. One, not two, just one. Uh-huh. And then I also I also picked up in this bundle a Coco Three. Oh my goodness! A Coco Three and um, you know stock. Um, I think it's just stock 128k, uh, no mods, but this oh. does work. I yeah, you know, it tested working. And then also that bundle. I also I also uh, had another Coco Three. <laughs> Double nice. Another Coco Three. This one's in a little bit better shape. I think that. Really nice badge. I thought one of these badges maybe still had the plastic on it, but maybe, maybe not. And the best part of this whole deal is it's better than two Coco threes. It's two Coco threes and FD five hundred one and a Black Beauty joystick. The best part of this thing is the guy didn't want to ship it. He's like, I don't want to deal with shipping and I don't want to put on eBay. I know what they're going for. Give me two hundred bucks and it's all yours. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so after a day, all day at the theme park, I just stopped them, by the guy's house them. and picked it up. Wow, I, I mean that's sort of the what, price I'll for give, a single Coco Three by itself these yeah. days. I'll give really, you two, I'll give you two fifty cash for all that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I just made fifty dollars, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> One heck of a deal. I couldn't pass that. Uh, it's you know I, I'm never going to surpass the five dollar Coco Three at, yeah. at BCF in 2019 that had the soap powder in it. But uh, this is pretty darn close. It's pretty darn close. Yeah, right. just so Bill's aware, uh, the the prices of used Coco. Coco machines has actually been skyrocketing last year or two to the point where Coco threes are going for three to four hundred dollars more than they cost brand new back in the day, and uh, it's it's become like a flippers market. You can actually invest in Coco threes and you know make money on it. So yeah, Coco three has become the white whale. Um, and Coco three and Bitcoin. Yeah. And if you ever find a monitor, it'll look like that one back there with no cover. Right. Oh yeah. The, 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 oh yeah. The door. I have a door somewhere. It fell off, and uh, I believe I I bought a monitor from. Uh, Eric Canales, but he, he that he had bought at the last Cocoa Fest that we had, and uh, he had bought one just for the for the door. So I bought one sans door as a spare. I think that was one of the questions in the live chat when you were showing off that CM8 cake from uh, PenFest 2000. They were asking, did the CM8 have a door on it? <laughs> <laughs> I ate uh, it. Uh, Ron ate the door. <laughs> right. Uh, who else had an update and acquisition today? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Actually, I did want to ask uh, Bill a question since he's actually still here. Yeah. Um, were you aware of the Coco Three when it came out? Because I know you were really a, a fan of the gimmicks running Osine Level Two, you know, the big iron type stuff, and the the Coco Three, of course, supported Osine Level Two and actually added a whole windowing system to it. And I was wondering if you had any familiarity with that, or did you kind of have that, you know, in the background? I was aware of it, but did nothing about it. Okay, because I know Frank. That was one of the things. Like he. He did OS9 for Bentley, kind of went, you know, on a Coco 1, it's kind of too limiting. He went back to Flex for a while. But when the Coco 3 came out, he went, pardon the expression, whole hog. 
into uh, supporting the, the Coca Cola Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> when, when you got the windowing system, especially five twelve K, so this this is the machine that we needed because this actually had some features that were more advanced and the, the gimmicks, namely the whole graphical and and the windowing system. You could just switch virtual terminals just by hitting a key instantly. So. I don't think you have to apologize to that because at one point when I was out at Frank's place. We drove by his dad's house, accidentally drove by his dad's house, and on the front, above the porch, were two pigs dancing. So, <laughs> uh, Cool stuff. Uh, anyone else for project updates and acquisitions? Because we do want to keep it moving because we still have news to get through, too. I have a few things to show and tell. I'll save myself for last. But anyone else, final call? For... I don't know if this is the place to inject this or not, but I'm working on a project I'd like to discuss. Sure, go ahead, Doug. Okay, Doug. I'm, uh, I'm into receiving weather facts on the color computer. Rondelbo hey. was excited. Oh, yeah. I recently acquired a satellite dish that I can supposedly receive it directly off the satellite, still working on that. But one of the things that I've offshoot from that is I'm looking for a controller. I would like to get a controller that hooks into the color computer that will actually position the satellite dish. Any thoughts on that? Well... Oh, like a relay board? Yes. Something that maybe has feedback where you can actually put in the azimuth of where the satellites are and get the feedback enough through the color computer that you can see it on the screen. My first guess would be that the Raspberry Pi folks probably have a project with some relay boards and stuff that could be a good start. Well, I've, I've been looking at those, but I was hoping for something color computer based. Well, you know what I did back in the day? I had an eight foot dish and I put a, um, a black beauty out at the dish with a stick on it and the stick was taped to the handle. And then I wrote a program that would uh, label all the different satellites and tell me, um, see, I couldn't see the dish from my basement. You know, it was out, out of range. So I ran a wire all the way out from my color computer to the dish, and I programmed it so that when the uh, dish moved, yeah. it would move the um, black beauty back and forth. And I, if, if it went too far, I would wind up with um, the dish sticking, and, and you know the uh, actuator would stick, and I would have to go out there and move it to get it back going again. So with this program and the labeling. I was able to see where, exactly where it was and never had it stick because I knew where the end was. But it was very crude and probably similar to what you're wanting to do. But um, Yeah, like in this case here, you're not controlling it. The Cocoa is not controlling it, but the Cocoa is no. able to read where it is. Right. So the controller was uh, analog, you know, on the um, right. tuner. So, so you basically yeah. had a potentiometer uh, reading that was in tune with the direction the dish was facing. You right. could just read that value and know which way you were going. Nice yeah. approach. That's clever, yeah, was, Ron. Yeah, it was something. Somebody should what? write a book about you, Ron. <laughs> Nick Marenti's right. guys got nothing on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like uh, Bill in that uh, I never really played the games. I, I, I love fooling around with stuff like that and, you know, and drawing and typing yeah. out things. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. 
I know Colorware used to sell a ton of controller boards that did stuff like this for controlling motors and things. So I don't know if any of those are still kicking around. I'm sure Who, Brian Weiss has got half a dozen. Colorware. Yeah. Who's that? Colorware back in the 80s, their Alpha Products, I think, was their uh, division for the hardware stuff. And they, they did a lot of, they had a whole full page added uh, ad on boards for all kinds of stuff. Doug, are you on uh, Discord? Yes, but I don't get on there very much. I, uh, I have logged into it. I would throw that question out probably in the hardware gen general channel. But uh, Karen Anscombe, 60, is saying you might be looking for an RS2-based controller. And then you could probably get the Coco to talk to that. Okay. And then, yeah, if you, th if you, throw, if you throw that out on the Discord channel, there's some people there that could probably throw some suggestions your way. I'm sure about that. Um, you could do RS-232 with like a cocoa or a pie a raspberry pie also and then yeah but he's, he's wanting to do it on the actual cocoa so um right. but yeah so there, there there's you listen we live in a time where very few things are, aren't possible so um cool all right so we have we have a call we have a call for uh for direction there from doug on getting a cocoa to do some actual controlling and those folks who got some what, what's your handle on uh discord doug you're muted MPC Wizard. MPC Spelled. Wizard. Spelled so, with two Zs. With two Zs. So look for MPZ Wizard on Discord and, and uh, shoot him some suggestions if you guys got them. Shoot him if you got them. All right. Last call for updates, acquisitions, show and tells. Going once, going twice. I got just uh, something to show. I got two things to show off real quick and then we'll, we'll move on to the news. Um, so let me spotlight myself. And um, so this is going to be a two for one show and tell because number one, I am showing you that I have now switched to the iPhone. I've switched to the dark side and have my first ever <laughs> iPhone that I've never owned before. <laughs> and on this iPhone, I have our guest from last week, Glenn Dahlgren. I have his audiobook, Child of Chaos. I've also ordered all of the packages that he had for sale on his website with our promo code last week to get 15% off. So I got the hard copy of the new one and the hard copy of the old one, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then also at the so same you, time, a thousand dollars on that phone. Uh, I don't know what it's, 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 it's easy, low monthly payments. Right. And then I've also got now the raspberry Pi 400 that I am now using to do my mm. cocoa pie project on. And so when everybody's asking the question, does the Cocoa Pie work on the Pi 400? I can tell you personally, yes, it does, because I've recorded now 11 videos <laughs> of the Cocoa Pie running on the Pi 400. So uh, does it run? Yes, it do. So that's my updates and acquisitions, keeping it short and sweet. We're going to keep moving along. Last call for updates and acquisitions before we move on to more news. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No? All right, so L. Curtis Boyle, we're going to skip the intro and just go straight to the scene, but we're now going to be talking about Snoozy Newsy, Michael Furman's fav favorite part of the show, and we have just under an hour, so pick your poisons. Oh, hit the ground running is what you want me to do? Hit the running and start newsing us. Fill our mind with news, Curtis. Uh, first of all, we're talking about Glenn Dahlgren and the books you purchased here. So this was actually a pretty cool thing after COVID talk. And, you know, he promoted that he was, you know, giving away the electronic version for free of his first novel for a little bit there. And it actually run the gold medal on um, Amazon's young adult fantasy epic category uh, as a reader's choice. Wow. It's never happened for him before. So he's, as he said, he's still processing it here. So uh, it's actually a, a real contest and, uh, he actually right afterwards too, when the book went for free and he was remember at during the show, he was kind of questioning, you know, whether this would work or not. 
as a promotional tool. He actually went to the top of the sales charts on three different categories for fantasy fiction. So I think it definitely did work. So I just want to give him a big shout out for that, uh, yeah. that he actually got the gold reader's choice award. Um, I also wanted to mention too, of course, that it's a Sep Tandy. So anybody who wants to submit videos to YouTube, this is kind of a YouTube phenomenon. Anything Tandy related can be model 100s, Tandy 1000s, Tiracetes, Cocos, whatever. Um, put a video related to that during the month of September on YouTube and then use the hashtag SepTandy and people will be searching for that and they'll be getting some new stories. Some people have already been submitting, plus we sold Alice and had already done some stuff as well. And I'm assuming that, you know, Jungarians and the others will be doing this uh, in addition as well. And then you can speak a bit to this, Stevie. So there's been a ton of updates coming on the Cocoa Pie project here. This well, is the main why website. Don't we, um, why don't we get through the rest of the news or more news? You want to save that for last? Yeah, save that because I don't know how long I don't, and I don't want to suck up the time. So, okay. But just suffice it to say the Cocoa Pie is out. Yeah. Uh, and a and new here's image. all your videos that you've been doing. Uh, so we'll come back to that. There's a new image. And yes, this image runs on a Pi 400. It runs on a Pi 3, a Pi 4, a Pi 400. And and that is all thanks to the genius of Ron Klein. So it's out, it works, and I'm going to be doing a series of very small, uh, easy to watch, easy to follow videos on specific things. So rather than it being a big hour and a half long video on how to do everything with the Pi, I'm going to do little mini docu-series. So next next article, Curtis. Yeah. Now, uh, these actually, some of these are linked to the Cocoa Pie because Ron's been actually including these updates. These are projects by other people that he's been putting on. So, for example, Karen has done a new version of X4 that actually will do a lot of Cocoa 3 stuff, including playing Joust, as an example. And there's multiple parts of this story. So, <clears throat> he's released a new, you know, kind of a testing version of uh, X4 that with Cocoa 3 support. And then he's also put a, an online version so you can try it in a browser. It's also now a downloadable thing on the Cocoa Pie itself. Um, so I'm sure he's looking for feedback, etc. It's uh, I think I don't think he last time I checked I don't think he had RGB supports. He had to play composite mm, as it currently stands. There might be an update to that. Might be update. as as Karen updates it, Ron updates the Cocoa Pie Git repo, so you can you can update the Cocoa Pie almost as frequently as Karen's updating this experimental uh, Cocoa Three support. Okay. So there's there's a ton of stuff. Like if you're getting the Cocoa Pie, there's been updates from Ron himself. There's been updates from Tim Linder, which we'll get to in a second. Where there's been updates from Karen. So it's just a constantly moving target. In fact, I think Ron himself said he might have to do updates more often. Uh, this one here is kind of a follow-up. So if you remember, Roberto Fernandez was one of our guests on Dragon Talk, and he had that really cool disc editing utility and stuff. Well, he actually posted the link on the Dragon Facebook group here where to get all the stuff he's been working on that's Dragon related. So he's got not only his uh, you know tools for actually accessing the drives and cassette interface stuff, he's also got a, a Nest Semigraphics 24 editor in here. Uh, he's got a utility to translate uh, tokenized basic files to text-based, the ASCII mode basic files. And then he's got some stuff that he's done for the Acorn, ABC, BBC Micro, and the Electron computers too. So all of those projects are here. So this is a link to his, uh, his GitHub. And I know we were pretty impressed with his, his disk editor too, which I've oh, yeah. got some Cocoa equivalents of that going on as well. Thank you, Roberto. This here is a quick video demo. And, and is Tim still on the call? Because he can kind of talk about uh, what's going on here if he wants to. Yeah, I wanted to do, I was uh, testing out some of Extended Color Basic and I wanted to test out the draw command. And of course the hidden feature of the draw command where you can use um, uh, numeric variables inside your draw string and uh, it created a little Jackson Pollock. You may want to skip to the end. It created a uh, little Jap Jackson Pollock uh, creator. 
So this is basically your way of testing the extended basic commands and just making sure the various graphics commands and stuff are working. Yep. And this, we would leave you, what, about 46K free memory? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, some insane amount of RAM. And, and you've got the disk version working now, too. That was actually part of what I want to talk about as well, is that you've got basically extended basic, color basic, and disk basic are all pretty well working at this point. Yep. And, uh, and depending on how much free RAM you want, uh, you, um, you you load up the one that you need. Yeah, so if you wanted to make like a 50K text adventure game, you, you could do that. Just tell it to boot and color basic, and it'll shut everything else down for you. Yeah. Now, you're, are you working on Cocoa 3 support at this point, too? No, I'm still going to try to make these three basics smaller uh, before I move on to the Cocoa 3. Okay. And this this is your GitHub here. So we've got a nice you know, picture. You, you ran the color basic version of it, and you've got 55,505 bytes free for basic, which is insane. I do yep. remember there was a commercial program called 40K back in the day that actually did shift the, uh, I think, the extended ROM up past the disk basic ROM so you could at, free up 8K. At the bottom of that page, I have a little graphic showing what technically what I'm doing with the, the memory map. Yeah, so here on the on the right hand side is the original memory map as the ROMs are done. So you'd buy a Cocoa 4K and you'd get Color Basic stuck right in the middle here, and then they added Extended Basic before that, and then the, the cartridge memory, which is normally the disk controller, and then they'd usually have about 8K free, would be at the end. So it was kind of like all over the place, and then basically the first 32K you had access to most of it. What you've done is taken all these and amalgamated them all at the end. It's almost like defragging a hard drive. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> And just freeing up all the RAM contiguously. So color basic, you get 55K. Extended basic, you get 47 or whatever, maybe less for the graphics screen enabled disk. You lose another 8K off that or 6.5K. And, mm -hmm. and basically, you're still left 40 to 42K free. Yep. And then, and then now you're optimizing the basic itself, so it's a bit shorter. Now, we should mention, because there's been some questions about this, because you're shifting the ROMs around, any programs that use ROM, indirect ROM calls, like Polcat and Casson and that kind of stuff, will not work without patches to directly call the routines. You won't that is correct. Uh, you won't be able to call the same memory locations. Um, but in the download package, there is uh, the complete listing, the assembler listing file that shows you where everything lands and, and uses all the names of everything. OK, so somebody could take the existing code and, and reading that documentation would be able to patch it to run correctly. With yeah, because somebody was needed. asking in Discord today, could this be burned into a ROM? And I and I'm, and I'm I don't want to speak out of place, but based on my limited understanding, I was thinking that probably wouldn't be the best thing right away because of that uh, ROM backwards compatibility. It, backwards issue. compatibility, right? Yeah, so. a lot of ROM cartridges from Radio Shack use um, color basic ROM calls. And um, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, if you had the option of having a ROM that you had a little switch, you could just flip back and forth between you know, yeah, stock. Yeah, yeah, that's it, like a toggle. And this, which, that'd be uh, Which I think, cool. uh, I think uh, what's his face? Uh, Sloopy Malibu's got something like that with his Pi Drive wireless thing is where you can switch different ROMs and stuff. And I think Jim Brain might have something. Yeah, so, that would be perfect because then you can you can run the special programs that require all the extra memory here, and and hopefully you know Tim will be speeding up some of the basic too right. and but, fixing bugs and things. But else. because you can just load it on a Cocoa, you know that negates the need for the ROM, so you can use it use it on demand when you need it. When yeah, you want, when you want well, to write. Well, the, the, the having it on ROM is just convenience. If you have a little yeah. switch, you can just instantly flick rather than where did I put the disk that is going to basically run this, this other might disk, be a, disk. This might be a job for the Cocoa SDC, where you can burn yeah. different ROM breaks into the Cocoa SDC. So have you, have um, you tried that, Tim? Have you tried burning it on the SDC to see how it works? Or I have not tried to use any of the flash banks yet. Uh, to I would have to create a custom load, loader to 
probably switch between two different uh, RAM banks for the disk extended because it's bigger than the bigger than a 16K bank allows. Um, <laughs> Jim Brain just woke up because I mentioned he might have a double ROM. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's another thing I need to write down. There are all these all these uh, different platforms for SDC. It to run on. Yeah, listen, it, it ain't nothing if it can't support the SDC. So uh, yeah, no, that's so cool. That's, that is super cool. And, and yeah. by the way, this is available on the Cocoa Pie. <laughs> it's a it's a get pull to get it in along the... with a thousand other things. Yes. So uh, good stuff. Thank you, Tim. Squanchy. Uh, next up, the monthly episode of the Cocoa Crew came out uh, just before the weekend here. Um, so the the highlights of this one is they did a discussion on what is considered the state of the art in the community, and this I found actually probably one of their best discussions because usually they kind of all agree on the same you know premise of whatever it was this wasn't this is where actually you could listen to them as they're discussing it change their minds as they're going so it was a real proper discussion it was actually really good um i kind of side with boise in that like for me state of the art is taking stuff that existed back in the day and seeing what you could do now that nobody would have thought of before joust transcode is an excellent example of this type of thing so for me i'm more of a software guy so for me it's more of a software like i'm pushing it to do something you've never done before maybe it's hooking up you know 16550 chips to it like rick yulin's doing or, or jim brain's been doing or it's not for that matter so it was an interesting discussion on that um the tech segment is about difficulties in using the coco stc and a real floppy drive controller simultaneously in the dragon now i've done that on the coco quite a bit because i've actually been backing up a lot of my old original discs because there's some stuff that's not on the archive yet um that i'll be slowly going through as i get time um, and then Neil, of course, discussed uh, Gels because he was uh, one of the beta testers on, on the earlier versions of it too, as as was I. So um, it's a great game. Go it must grab be a it, Canadian so. thing. Okay. <laughs> so um, okay, cool. Thank you, Coco Crew. Next up uh, from the Dragon Talk as well, John Whitworth, of course, who's done the uh, formerly MSX Two Plus board, now called the Super Sprite FM Plus which is for dragons and cocos. So he's got a limited number of boards for sale right now. Um, Parasurat's been working on drivers for OS9 level one, and he's been working on, of course, the uh, AGD ports from the Spectrum and stuff. So he'll actually have some software to run on it that takes advantage of the Sprite chip, the graphics chip, the sound chip, and everything else that's on it. Now, the one problem, and, and we heard this from Rick earlier, um, that everybody's having these days is that uh, trying to get parts. Chips are hard to come by these days. and. Uh, so he's got a limited number of these boards out now, but one of the key chips, the V9958, which I think is one of the video chips, has nearly doubled in price because of the rarity of, of getting chips out now within the span of a month or two from when he ordered this first batch. So now he has, might have to adjust all these prices. But uh, if he hasn't quite sold out yet, if you guys want to get in early on these, and these will work on Dragons and Cocos, even the Coco yeah. 3, um, go grab it from his... Uh, his store site yeah and i don't want to take away from any potential sales he's going to get i'm sure he's not making a ton of money on this but this is now also emulated in mame which thanks to nigel barnes who is the european version of tim lindner um although i don't think his hair is as luxurious but um we can do this in mame and this can also be downloaded with a git update to the cocoa pie so in future updates you can go into the mame uh at the dragon menus and see and be able to pull up a dragon with the uh, super sprite board on that too yeah but isn't that distorting the hobby that is uh, listen <laughs> listen for, for me i view the main version as a good way for developing for it because you can hit yes. run the main debugger and everything else but it's cool to have it actually running on the real hardware too so. mm -hmm. But I, I do hope you can get the the, the chip the chip yeah, supply. I'd like to have one. And this would be a great thing for show and tell to bring to like a, you know, a computer club and show off everybody. Yeah, what, or any trade one shows. Of the many things that Coco can do. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank you, John Whitworth. Barry Nelson. Yes, so he's done an upload now. He's got a custom main branch that he's been doing for years, and uh, he also can build it for the Mac directly too. But it's basically a slim down version of main with just the Cocoa Core stuff and gets rid of all the the other you know stuff. Um, so we've done a main branch here where he's backported a fix um, for fixing serial printers. So if you guys do any serial printer type stuff on main, this will fix some issues. I think he submitted this back to him. I don't know if you know if he submitted it back to the main main project. This but is I do my know. patch that he put in his main. Oh, is yeah. it? Oh, I didn't know okay. that. Okay, and that was kind of my ask. My question to him was: Is he? Is it? Does he coordinate or communicate with you since you are our known Mame Dev, you know, person? Barry and I. Barry and I talk. Okay. I think we should just leave it at that. Okay. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's available for download uh, from him too. So from my and I have gotten some of Mac versions. He's from my hometown of Miami, Florida, too. That Barry Nelson. All right. <laughs> And next, I hope somebody knows more about this than I do, because Trey Tones has been posting video, and this is just one of several videos he's done here, of his later uh, latest updates to what he's calling his X32 overextended color basic project. And he's been gradually adding function stuff, so he's got it, you know, handling some basic keywords and doing some parsing for errors and stuff. Um, I, I think what he's doing, and this is feeding into the conversation that's been going on for the past two weeks, what would, what would the Cocoa have been if it still existed? But... This is getting into being a bare metal implementation of a color basic interpreter that's not being emulated. So I think this is something that's going to boot up on something like a Pi. I think he's doing it in an emulator, but he's creating an operating system that will boot bare metal on a modern, I'm assuming, ARM type system or Linux type system that will interpret color basic. I think that's what he's doing. Okay, so it's kind of like a combination of a more modern implementation with kind of what the 8-bit guy did with the Command 16. Well, that one he's building in hardware. This yeah, but he's, building... he's trying to modernize it with like faster chips. And yeah, 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 yeah. So this is faster. like, and then uh, when the question came up on the Pi 4s and stuff, Alan Huffman had posted a link where somebody had like a BBC Micro that was not being emulated that ran bare metal on something like a Pi 0. And so this is, I think, uh, possibly something in that vein where he's writing the actual operating system to boot bare metal, where we're not booting up Raspberry Pi and then emulating Cocoa this is writing the software to boot on the hardware that will be a, a, an extended basic like quote unquote okay. operating system that runs natively. Okay, cool. I didn't get a chance to check it out. Too yeah, much that's what I think. Video, so. uh, that is my educated guess. I haven't read in too deep. I'm, I just looked at this, that the videos as it started, cause it looked like it booted. So it looked like it was booting up a piece of hardware of some form and then it booted straight to this green screen. Yeah. I, I do know Karen's been like responding with him here. So maybe Karen, if he's still in the chat, there has a, a better idea that or maybe a clarification anyway of what exactly is happening. So if he wants to type in while we're going through stories, please do. Uh, next up, uh, this is uh, Alison Denou again, uh, this time a little bit of a hardware project uh, for Septandi. And this is a video of her printing a 3D shell for a program pack on the 3D Ooh. printer. Uh, is this time lapse? Because what does it take like eight hours to print? <laughs> I don't know. Just don't ask Rick Adams because he had yeah. a pretty horrible time with his. Thank you, you're too cat, and thank you. It was uh, it was cool that Allison, you know, did all the game projects and stuff, but is also throwing in some hardware too, yeah. like a, a varied. Go Alley Cat, go. And Alan, Alan Huffman here, yeah. So he's got some of his Septandi stuff is already up that you can play the videos now. But he's also got something you can see set reminders. So he's got them queued to come up over the next few days type thing. So you've got a week's worth of Cocoa stuff all coming out. And um, 
I'm hey, sure he'll click, blog about them as well too. So click on that sausage, man. And man, look at that sausage, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Alan is like Alan is like uh, he's very seasonal, isn't he? Like you won't hear from him for like for nine months out of the year, and then he just like it becomes Huffman season, and you get like three months of overload of just blog posts and optimizations <laughs> and how to make basic interpret faster, and here's a bunch of videos and you know. So it's really cool to see when Alan is in the zone and just cranking stuff out. Uh, even though oh, I haven't watched, season. even though I haven't watched his videos, I can hear his voice and feel his enthusiasm already. I love that. Yeah, movie. we see that at Coco Fest too yeah, when we meet him there because yeah. he he goes into a flurry right after Coco Fest because you get charged yeah. up meeting everybody and stuff. So yeah, yeah, we love you, Alan Huffman. So I haven't had a chance to watch all these yet either, and some of them actually haven't been released yet. I think there's three released right now, mm. but one every day for the next week basically wow. is coming out. I got it. I got it. It's like, he's like the Jim Gary of uh, YouTube at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and this one, he actually did a video, which he did specifically to Facebook. Not quite sure why he did that, but I do know he was, he actually published a blog post about uploading video to Facebook. And all of a sudden his audio was just disappearing. He'd run it in preview, ran fine. He'd upload it dead silent. He finally figured out what the cook was causing that. He wrote a blog post about, it, I think last week, which is basically if you have multiple tracks, Facebook will only let you play the very first primary track. If you have any audio in any other track, it does not come through. Mm. So he figured out how to get around it. Um, okay. This particular video here is actually on getting a better random numbers through basic. Um, so if you're doing random number games and he was kind of mentioning some of the caveats of, of trying to do it just with, you know, just a rate a raw R and D function, he'll give you some tips and tricks to be able to get better randomized numbers in basic. So okay. if you're a game programmer in basic, for example, that might be of use to you. All right. Thank you, Alan. Carlos Next up, uh, Carlos Camacho. Actually, this is a uh, maze creation algorithm using the 6847 chip. Now, this is a modified version of it, from what I remember, um, on a different machine. Uh, but you can recognize kind of the green screen. Now, mind you, they've got a custom font and stuff here, too. So <clears throat> this is for a PC 6001 VW, which was a computer by NEC, NEC. That was a based on a 3.8 megahertz Z80 and a VDG compatible chip and a sound chip uh, from late 81, 82. And he's been doing some optimized code and basically he was trying to get it to see if he can run it, get wow. it running as fast in Cocoa Basics. That, so. like that looks like a microscopic zoom in of a silicon transistor. So this looks, this looks like inside. It a just CPU. looks like a regular map and death trap. To yeah, me, yeah. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> it almost looks three dimensional. It's like a, you, stare you can see like it actually has a lowercase version of it running here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Alan Murphy saying the sound chip is the same that's in the speech sound pack. So it's like two thirds Cocoa. It's got the graphics chip and the sound chip from the Cocoa and just yeah. has that. Well, we couldn't do colors like this on the Cocoa. Z80. Well, that's because they, they had they somehow augmented the. Uh, the yeah, VDG it, it's here. not actually a VDG. It's a VDG compatible with okay. some extra features based but from what I understand. Okay. Good times. And Alan can correct me if I'm wrong. As soon as I saw that too, I was thinking, isn't, isn't Rick uh, Kelly well, Rick, a, or Rick doing something like that? Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, that's it. It's a variation of the 6847. Mm. It was uh, embedded along with the CPU and some other stuff. But yeah, that's the exact machine that I'm porting my game from. And that font is one of the things that I implemented on the Coco 3. Ah, and now also Coco VGA. Nice. Cool. Also, just to give an update, uh, Sixy said he only briefly talked with Trey on his project, but he said Stevie's got it right, though. So you're, you're correct, Stevie. Um, took an educated guess, but I'm I'm often wrong. That's my wife will point out. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're moving along. Hey, okay, next up, Mike, Mike Rojas. 
who's been uh, blogging, I think, 11 or 12 episodes here about trying to get this completely dead Coco 3 working and all the stuff. He had to fix the keyboard. He had to fix the motherboard and all the stuff. It's running. Nice. So after all that, it says, as I lean back, sipping my coffee this morning, <laughs> I think about what's next. Explorer's lap. <laughs> play some games, dive into assembly, write a few games, connect to BBS, more retro hacking. So many possibilities. I see a couple of scopes behind his Coco 3 there. So he's using technology to figure out what's wrong with his technology. Yeah. But it turned out really well. I mean, if you saw what the original state yeah. of the machine was, yeah. in fact, he's got it all Now, is that here. distorting the hobby when you use modern technology to figure out what's wrong with your vintage technology? Oh, Stevie. No. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just asking asking for a friend. Um, Stevie's poking at the bees nest. Okay. I think the most surprising part of that is you a friend. <laughs> it's not distortion. It's overdrive. overdrive. So, yeah, there you go. The answer to the question, though, is I posted a whole bucket list of Cocoa things to try. A long time ago so grab the bucket list and knock everything off of that there you go yeah okay well we got Th this was a cool one for me rutherford leblanc who actually did return of the cocoa which is a cocoa emulator from way back around 2000 and i haven't heard anything from him lately and of course there's been other emulators that have come up since like vcc is actually returning and he's going to start working on vcc now his was a, like return of cocoa was windows specific and it had some nice things like drag and drop a disk image onto it and just bang it would just load it and run so he's actually going to be working on this, and I actually got him in contact with Bill Pierce, so they're going to try to synchronize some of this. So he'll actually be active in some development for VCC. And I know, who's the other guy? Is it Jim Rye? I'm trying to remember. Jim Rye is doing some stuff. There's a handful of people now. Um, now, this is the VCC where the O is silent, right? So this is the original Windows um, branch yeah, of VCC, yeah. and the OVCC becomes a... Now, whether this will be applicable or not to other, I don't know... Um, but he actually fired up Return of the Cocoa here, and he actually has the original. I think I remember before I even started YouTube, I found this at one point in time and got it working, and then I couldn't find it anymore. Yeah, I seem to remember having this one at one point in time. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is after, the, like, say, the Jeff Bavisor, which was actually done in yeah. DOS back in the early yeah. 90s and stuff. And we'll, we'll, save, we'll save opinions and discussions on, on emulators for another time. But, yeah, yeah, there have been many throughout history, and there are many now. There are at least three active emulation projects going on. Technically, four if you count OVCC. So, yeah. we have no shot. We have no shortage of emulators for the Cocoa and the, all the stuff. But the, but the good thing is, I mean, VCC had languished for quite a while. Jim Wright kind of got into it, and and Bill's been trying to do some stuff. He's been, especially been updating the documentation. It's nice to yep. get one of the other people that actually has a lot of experience writing his own emulator for the Cocoa. Yep. Joining, so now maybe it'll start you know going forward at a more rapid pace again. Yes, sir. It's a lot of work doing them. And it's if you want to hit the ground running, it's it's super user friendly. So I would never discourage anybody from using it, especially if you want to pick up and just write some basic programs. It is probably the easiest way easiest to get to thing. an OK prompt and get started. And that's Mame what is I got powerful, started. but it's it's a bear's ass to yeah, get running. Yeah, when I started, when I started my Cocoa journey five six years ago, before it led me to all the fame and fortune I, I enjoy now, um, you know, I started on VCC because I didn't know what to do, and you know, all my early videos were done on VCC. My entire series on how to program in BASIC was done on VCC. So uh, I will I will not shame that project in any way, shape, or form. Now there are other emulators that are good at specific things, but uh, VCC is great for just Double click the icon, poof, I'm at an okay prompt. Let's get to work. You know, super user friendly. Ease of yep. use. Ease of use. Yes. That's my mantra too. Yeah. LW Asm. Yes. Yeah, so, Glenn uh, Hewlett, of course, who did the Pac Man and Joe's Transcodes here, decided to do a little bit of a different blog here. And he's, he uses LW Asm, which, of course, is by William Astle, who's very active in our Discord. 
uh, which is a cross compiler, cross assembler, I should say, for the uh, the Coco. And he actually goes through some of the tricks you can do in LW, uh, LWASM that you don't get in, say, Adasm Plus. Um, so he's got stuff like uh, various things with labels, including the no label version, where you can just tell it to jump ahead to the next exclamation mark mm. or, or jump backwards. So you don't have to remember labels. Um, reusable labels. There are um, people using LWASM that aren't even aware that they're using LWASM because they're probably using a development environment that it's baked into and scripted to. So, um, you know, uh, Glenn is proactively, consciously using LWASM. Uh, on yeah, a, and a, using some of the new features. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, but, so. but anybody who's using any of these uh, cross-development tools, you're, pr you're probably LWASM's behind the scenes in one of those scripts. This is one I would use if I used LWS for a lot of my stuff is actually having the cycle counts built in. So if you're trying to optimize code, I usually figure it out just by hand or a lot of them are in my head. Mm -hmm. But you can actually just turn on this thing when it does a listing. It'll tell you exactly how many cycles every single instruction takes. So you can say, oh, that's a bit slow. I should see if I can change that, which is really good for uh, optimizations. And then it gets into conditional assembly. Now, this is something I am used to because we have a lot of conditional assembly stuff in the OS9 assemblers. I don't think Ed hasn't had much of that. So maybe some of the CertComp stuff or something did. I don't remember. I haven't used those in a while. But basically, it's, it's a really nice blog article on some of the things that if you're coming to doing Cocoa Assembly again, but you did it in the past with real Cocos, there's a bunch of features that you probably didn't know existed if, that are in LWAS and that you can use to your advantage. And he gives you know, really good explanations yeah. of each and, and some samples. So. Glenn Hewlett's blog is a great resource for all kinds of assembly tips and tricks and optimizations, et cetera. Um, yeah. This is well, a cool project. Um, this is almost like Mr. Dave territory here. Yeah, actually, it reminded me that of uh, yeah. Mr. Dave a lot, actually. So he's been installing modern components, including a color LED keyboard into a Cocoa 3 case, and then presetting it up with emulators. So you can just actually just run it. Um, so here's, you know, you can see the full color LEDs around. here in the case. Yeah. And, you know, it actually is hooked up with some real joysticks with little adapters and stuff too. So it's actually running your Golgari. You buy one of these joysticks from Rick Ulan. Um <laughs> Plug. Right. And uh, Paul Fiscarelli's got the adapter too, the convert Cocoa yeah. joysticks a, to USB. A joystick without that horrible label on it. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that keyboard, that keyboard looks really good though. You know, the yeah, RGB. Yeah, it actually fits quite well. It fits well in the color scheme, the whole RGB scheme. This fits into the rainbow theme of the color computer. Yeah, he's got to switch the colors so they match yeah, the so actual Yeah, red, badge. green, and blue. Yeah, but yeah. that's easy enough to do, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, no, it fits well. And look at that. You got USB um, ports on the side where the cartridge door would have been. It's making perfect use of the spaces without having to cut new holes in it or whatever. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a very well done, very clean yeah. looking product. It doesn't look like There's a hack job. Like HDMI a lot port of in the done. back, uh, power LED. You got a couple more USB ports there, and then the real joystick ports. So yeah, this is a good hybrid of old and new. So yeah, yeah Windows Windows 11 sticker on the top. Oh yeah, is that what that was or something? Yeah, Windows it? 11, powered by Windows 11, huh? Well, it's almost perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'd put a cocoa pie in there, but yeah, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really well done. It, it looks clean enough. You'd almost think that that was how the machine was designed. If yeah, you today. yeah, yeah. Very At cool. first, I thought he had my Windows 10 cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's keep it And moving. that was really cool. So next Sorry. up, we have a couple of MC10 stories. So uh, Simon, and, and this may become part of Septandy 2, I'm not sure. But basically, uh, the MC10 sound is, is much worse than the Cocos because it only has one bit sound. There's no six bit DAC. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. 
So what he does here is he's running, and it's it's going to sound more distorted than we're used to on the Coke because it is one bit only. But uh, he's actually running a two-voice music player at 7.5 kilohertz, and it's using a song he's used before. Now, this might be a bit loud. I'm not sure. Let me know once it starts you're too playing. loud. You're too old, man. Yeah, that sounds good. I love his uh, sawtooth patterns, that very crunchy industrial sound that he's able to produce. It's crunchy, even in milk. Yeah. That's a bit yeah. We're almost into dubstep ter territory. Yeah. Right. yeah, it is a little loud, but okay, you can pause it. Yeah. We can't talk anyway, about it. It's a that. pretty cool project. <clears throat> now, he's uploaded the video of it, he's also uploaded the source code. Uh, for those who want to learn how to do the multi-voice on the MC-10. And one of those people actually took it up and ran with it a little bit here. Hold my beer. So I'm hoping I'm pronounced this correctly. Anders. Anders Carlson. Yeah, that's what it looks like. <clears throat> He's slightly modified. Like the way Simons is set up is that you have to figure out the, the data tables for the notes yourself. You have to punch in, you know, binary values or X values or whatever to create the notes. Anders modified it so that you can actually just tell it actual notes. It can go like C four that'd be fourth okay. octave a almost like note. the play command yeah so he's he's readjusted the uh, source code so uh, if a musician wants to tackle this they don't have to learn all the you know what frequency counter i need to get this certain note type thing they can actually just punch in a musical score using you know a, a bit of a musical style notation c sharp four or the d5 or whatever and actually do it that way and he's actually uploaded the new version that actually handles that here so that anybody wants to write music for the mc10 using that two voice music player from simon Here's an easier way for you to do it if you're a musician versus right. a nerd. Cool. So that's Stop. available on the Facebook MC10 group, uh, as is Simon's video. So you can actually get both of those and actually download for the, the low price of free. Yep. So kind of interesting. That models exactly what happened in the Rainbow Magazine <clears throat> originally. So Coco Composer came out and it played four voice DAC music. But you had to do all kinds of rocket science, yep. weird math to get the notes I in. using that. And then along comes, um, oh, I'm blanking on his last name Musica? now, Bob. Lester Hands? Um, no, it was before there There was... was it, uh, Busta Rhymes? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Rich, Rich Bob, Perry was the amuse, or, uh, composer guy, wasn't he? Yeah, and... it was, I think his name was Bob, and I'm blanking on the last name, but he took the Coco Composer and added a music note front end to it. And that was in a later issue of Rainbow. So if you hit the index, look in the music category, you'll see both of them there. Yeah. Actually, I shout, I shout out to Bill Sice and Color Computer News. They had a competition, and I didn't mention this because we you know the interviews are already running pretty long. But they had a competition for uh, one year where they were actually having four different categories for people writing programs. And one of them was to make the best rendition of the William Tell Overture, whether it was basic or machine language. And if any of you heard the organ music, the seven minute yeah. long version of Wim yeah. Overture, that's where it was published first. Oh, that wow. was the winner of that category in CCM. Oh yeah. I used to play that thing all the time, man. That was like a showpiece to play that thing on your Coco. And a little side note, a bunch of us here, because that was one of the earlier CCNs we got, uh, we ended up splitting it between 10 of us and each of us typed in a full page of data statements, little tiny hex numbers. And we wow. had a couple mistakes, but generally we did pretty good. It was recognizable. Wow. That's rock on. I we're looking at here. This looks like something David Ladd would have. <clears throat> yeah, well, except it, yeah, actually, probably would be. So this is the microdeal page, and we've mentioned that on the Dragon Talk show because the person that's running it was one of our guests. And uh, basically, John Symes, who actually was microdeal, 
uh, said, you thought it'd be interested in how Microdeal produced tapes in our top comp copy company called Top Copy. We had two tape-matic machines that take a cassette that just had a leader and cut the leader in half and then at high speed copied and stretched tape. So this is how they manufactured all the tapes wow. for all the Dragon programs, games, utilities, word processors, whatever. So I thought I'd zoom some of these up here so you can kind of see. This is industrial level, how you would create, you know, tapes instead of just having, I've seen, you know, some of these tape decks that have two or three tapes. Yeah. Copy it. Wow. I mean, I, yeah. This is bulk. a whole other realm. Yeah. Bulk. It just keeps doing them over and over again. They just have to measure out the right length and clip them. Yeah. Wild. So that's that's a bit of history there, right? Too from the early eighties as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Next up, we finally got a date for the Dragon Meetup. It's kind of bounced around. They had some overbooking at Cambridge, etc. So that's now been officially. It's November twenty seventh and twenty eighth. So the second day is actually my birthday. So thanks for letting mm. me celebrate, guys. Yeah. Um, we're gonna try to get some of them on to either show the show live at the tail end of the show because of the time difference or at least give a report afterwards that'd um, be great that would be great yeah and i'm going to try to get the dragon talk too i'm going to try to get that organized somewhere just after this so that actually after they've seen the entire show let it sink in yeah. they can come in and talk about the stuff in more detail than the live reporting lab all right cool so look forward, look forward to, to that at the end of this is november or beginning of december same month as coco fest this year Except we're at the beginning of the month. Yeah. Paris or Rat. Yeah. So these uh, next few are a bunch of uh, Dragon software updates and stuff here. Um, so Paris Rat here in this particular case has made a Java app that will convert VDK files that are not multiples of 256 byte length sectors to DriveWire 4 compliant. Now, this is something I think Mikey had found out because remember last week we said we were trying to get them in contact with each other because Mike was having some issues with PyDrive yeah. or some Dragon stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the VDK is a copy protected format. It's kind of like our SDF or whatever. So it can have like you know raw sectors and it can have extra headers and all this crap. So this utility that he wrote will take them as long as it's not really copy protected with some really weird formatting and convert it to a standard stock 56 byte per sector that the DriveWire, PyDriveWire wants. And now you can fix all of those ones that don't work and now they'll work with DriveWire. So thank you, Parasurat. Oh, we're still going to try to get Parasurat for a full blown interview oh, yeah. too. What a, what a what a jewel this guy is. He's just done so much. Yeah, and he man. keeps he keeps cranking it out here. It's just yeah. it's, we tried to have him on the show this last time. He was actually on holidays and had really really bad yeah. you know connection. Couldn't do it. But we're definitely going to get him on. Oh, Bad I guess Lord. a lot. There's one more hardware project. So we've had uh, uh, Pedro has been doing Coco two duplicate boards and then Coco three. He's been working on the Coco three duplicate circuit board. So Arvid is actually working on building his own Dragon 64, and this is step one, just getting started type thing. Right. So, okay. Um, so I'm imagining he'll be kind of blogging this on the Dragon Facebook group as he goes. So I'm going to keep an eye on that and see how he does on. on yeah, Mikey says Dragon. no that the VDK is actually more like the um, the JVC format. It says it's nowhere near close to DMK. It, it might be just a sector size or something. I might have confused my acronyms. Yeah. You forgot SDF in there too. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, okay, so we're going to start building a dragon from scratch. Step one, put in a chip. Yep. Uh, step two, put in more chips. Um, <clears throat> so John Whitworth here has uploaded a couple of things. Uh, this is Flex for the Dragon Plus computer. So it has drivers specifically for the Dragon Plus. So that was one he did in Dragon Group. And this one he did at OS 9 with Dragon MMC drivers. So Dragon MMC, of course, is the Dragon native version of the coco sdc kind of it's kind of the same thing but it also supports cassette files save states etc so he's got uh 
driver specifically for the Dragon Plus there for running the MMC. So if you want to grab that, if you have a Dragon and a, or Dragon Plus and you have an MMC. And then lastly, Parasurat comes out again because, of course, he's busy. Uh, this is the last version of DOS Plus 5 Extended. Um, I won't read off the whole version number here, but modified so that the read subroutine for Becker ports, which is based on Gary Becker's work on the Cocoa 3 FPGA, has a triple timeout than previous versions suggest Michael Furman. Now, from what I understand, there was a problem where PyDriveWire, I think it would timeout or something. Mikey, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm understanding this incorrectly in, in the chat. But basically, there was a timing issue that he suggested Para to fix it and Para made this revision. I do believe that has fixed the problem. So I will let uh, Mikey So yeah, talk DOS Plus is basically kind of like the SDC DOS for the Dragon that can support DriveWire. And it's now been tuned to work with PyDriveWire um, without any issues or disconnects is what I would take away from that most likely. Um, and, and some of those questions started happening during the time of our Dragon Talk special as Mikey was starting to ask some of those questions in the chat and on uh, Discord and Facebook. So it's great when we can reach out and, and get, get in touch and put these people together and get this stuff happening. Yep. No, it's been working really well. The collaboration in the community is, is, is fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Is that and that's the last of my regular news. So if you wanted to talk about any of the stuff specifically on the Cocoa Pie here, I can um, just pull just pull up the Cocoa Pie website for starters because um, so yeah, so just just click on the homepage. Click on Cocoa Dash. Yeah, just go right there. Click on that and then scroll up. Because what what I want you guys to realize number one is that just go to Cocoa-Pie.com and everything you're going to need to know is going to be here. And then if you need to communicate with Ron Klein or myself or anybody else, then Discord is, is where to go. We've got a Discord channel for this. So Cocoa-Pi is the website. This is where you can get the new unified community image. It's one image that runs on all pies. There's a handful of things you need to do. Um, if you click on the videos tab uh, on that same site, Curtis, which is the same thing as I have a YouTube playlist, but if you just click on the videos there, um, and if you scroll down, you can kind of see that. So these are all going to be here like in a gallery format. So as new videos are released, um, they'll be here. And, um, and, and in each video is, is relatively short. They're in anywhere from a two to five minutes. Long ones might be 10 minutes. But in each one's tackling one topic. So like part one is how to download and burn the image. Part two is how to resize the SD file system, right? Part three is getting it on your network you know part four is downloading and applying the update so real short snippets so it's not one long verbose video it's a bunch of short videos and i will continue to crank these out on both simple topics and get into some more advanced things as well as time goes on but um, there's been a lot of interest and activity in coco pie lately and um, a lot of the pe things people were questioning or concerning about was they were they were running an old image and they're trying to run the old version on new hardware any of those concerns have now been addressed. And the great thing about it is no matter what Pi you run, Pi 3, 4, or 400, once you um, burn the image and run the updates to kind of patch it for your operating system, all future updates, anything that they need to do, you just run from a menu. So you run a git update, you run a fix script, and you reboot. And as new things are put in, like, like for example, Karen has updated uh, XROAR probably three times in the past two weeks, we can just pull those updates right in because Ron Klein stays on top of MAME updates and XROAR updates. And so as they're released, he compiles them, he adds them to his GitHub, 
everything you can do now, you can pull down from the internet. So the idea here is you never have to re-image this again, and unless a major operating system, unless the foundation changed, you know, just changes to the menu, updating emulators, adding new features, it's all gonna be an online update to the project. And so you can continuously update your emulators and pull the latest version of whatever emulators out there. You can roll back to an older emulator if you need to for compatibility reasons. So there's a lot of cool stuff with that. And the website in the Discord is the place to go to get the, uh, get the image, to watch the videos. And then if you wanna chat and ask questions or give us feedback and suggestions, which we're, which we're always uh, excited to hear. But you know, um, I went ahead and I, I showed you my update. I went ahead and I bought the Pi 400. And you know, as much as I was sitting here saying, yeah, I don't want to buy it. I don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I went ahead and bought it anyways, wrong clients. Because <laughs> all my complaints, well, you know, you have to be tethered to the screen and you can't, you don't have a good range of motion and all these excuses runs like, you know, you could just plug a wireless keyboard into the Pi 400 too. And this is what I love about our community. We are the worst group of enablers ever, right? So I'm trying to talk myself down from buying something I don't need. And all I needed was one little push <laughs> to drop another 120 bucks on something I didn't need, right? So, um, but I, I like the Pi 400. There's a lot of stuff. Um, if I could screen share real quick. Yeah. Um, when this I'll is the last do, news stories. For yeah, Green, what I'll so. do is um, I'm going to go ahead and bring it up on uh, on here, and I'll and I'll show you something because we were talking about um, we were talking about uh, Tim's Squanchy Basic, and I went ahead and I pulled it up. So this is Tim's Squanchy Basic on the Cocoa Pie, and and what I love about the Cocoa Pie now is that because you've got this GUI and you've got a graphical desktop, it's really Are you easy. sharing. I, well, I'm I'm I have it on Zoom, so it should be it should be in. Uh, oh, I'm not sharing. Um, I'm not sharing Zoom. Uh, um, hold on one second. Let me do that. Share sound. Um, now let me let me click on the. I have too many mice here. This is my biggest confusion right now. Um, all right, can you see it now? Yep. Okay. So yeah, so this is Squanchy Basic, right? And I loaded the small Squanchy Basic, and you can see you got the 5505 memory, right? So everything. Everything is web updatable, right? So if you, whenever you want to get an update to the Cocoa Pie, you go, you go to your utilities menu, you scroll down to the bottom of your utilities menu. Oh wait, is it, and then you go to administration, and then you drop down and you go to Git update, which is shit. I don't even know where it is. It's right here. Okay. So you have a Git update, you pull a Git update, that'll pull down anything new. So if there's a new emulator, if there's a new package of something new, you do the new, you know, you do the new GitHub. Then you run the fix script. The fix script will do a few things for you. And then once you've done those, uh, he actually added more fonts. Okay. And then because we were talking about fonts in the Discord channel this week, and then you can just reboot after you run the fix script and then everything will be in here. So um, the, the, as suggestions come in, and as new projects are taking place in the community, we're going to be able to pull them into this project very, very quickly with uh, web updates, right? So you're just going to run a Git update, a fix script, and a reboot, and anything new will just come in like magic. And so Tim Squanchy Basic got updated, the new updates to XROAR as he's doing the experimental Cocoa 3 support, those are being pulled in. As Tim is very active in MAME development and adding features or fixing things or breaking things, whatever Moody's in that day, all of those things will get updated and pulled down. So this is the the holy grail of color computer emulation and a real simple to use package and, and user interface. And um, for 120 bucks to buy a Pi 4, 
uh, or a Pi 400 with the keyboard and everything, keyboard and mouse. It's a real cheap way to experience multiple machines and, and do a lot of stuff. And all I'm going to tease you with, and we'll, we'll leave this as a teaser, but you saw, as Curtis was talking about in Facebook, um, there are a lot of people now who are getting excited about getting back to the Cocoa and, and writing programs in basic. And so there's been people who have been doing the type in programs and then they're asking questions like, well, how can I export my source code listing so I can share it with you guys and post it with you on Facebook or do this or do that. And, and, and that's not an easy thing to do necessarily with, if you typed it into the emulator, how do I get it out of the emulator? Or if I'm typing it in notepad, how do I get it from notepad into the emulator? This, these are things that are not necessarily self-evident truths that you just know the answer to some things are possible some things aren't some things require a little technical research but one of the things that we're going to be adding and when i say we i mean ron klein one of the things that ron klein will be adding to the coco pie and you're you might already see it when you do a git update and a reboot but on your desktop now is going to be a uh, a text editor that's called genie and if you open up genie um, what this is now is this is going to be part of a development environment that you can cross-assemble and, and type in your source code on a full-screen editor and pull down a menu and, 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 and run it in an emulator. And it will support BASIC, it'll support CMOC, and it'll support assembly. So just for real quick, if I just said 10 print, uh, i got to do all caps. I forgot I'm in, uh, I'm in color base. Okay, so I say print, quote, uh, the keyboard is all over the place here, right? Coco talk, right? And I put a little semicolon in there and then 20 go to 10, right? Okay, so there's my simple program. Now, when I go to my build menu and I'm going to say build a Coco 2 disk image and launch MAME, I can do it local, I can do it over DriveWire, I can do it in XROAR. And as soon as I do that, my basic program, well, I think it's going to ask, is it asking me to save it? Okay, so I'm going to give it a save name. I don't know what the hell I'm typing here. I don't care. All right, and so now it's going to basically fire this up, and it's going to fire up basic, and hopefully it's not going to make a liar out of me. Is it going to do something? Is it still doing something? This is still a work in progress, so it might not be completely here. Oh, uh, here it is. Cocoa Pie R. Oh, that's I don't know what the hell that is. Never mind. Okay, so I might not be there yet, um, but it's, it's you can happening. see where it's going. Where you, you can be able to just auto launch your yeah. program. Yeah. So so what we're gonna have here, uh, and I might have done something wrong because I haven't been fully schooled on this, but you're gonna have a full screen text editor, and you can then basically pull down from a menu the ability to take your source code and build it as basic. Um, oh, and you can renumber basic. You can build Coco Two disk image. Um, did I have to do a basic option here? I don't know. Anyways, this is a work in progress, but it'll be here soon. So why am I mentioning all of this? Because number one, the Cocoa Pie makes it real easy to emulate the color computer. And not everybody is quite as savvy on how to configure MAME and download ROMs and blah, 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 load disk images. So this makes it real. This is the ease of use in emulating color computers in general. Well, what we're going to be adding to this as well is going to be ease of use kind of software development cross-assembly tool that's going to be on the desktop and so for the people who are now wanting to do your type in programs well you can and not only that you could go to the website where that program is and if you didn't want to type it all in manually you could copy and paste it from the pdf file if it's searchable and then just and instead of doing the type in you can do the copy and paste in bring it into your editor press the magic button have it fire up in a cocoa and run it 
Um, and then it's going to be easy to share your source code because it's running on a computer that's connected to the internet and it's a text file that you could email or do whatever order you want because CocoaPie has a web browser, right? And so like when, when that, that's the nice thing too. If I want to get software like before the show, I, could, I didn't know how to do the update to get Squanchy Basic. I just went to Tim's GitHub on the CocoaPie and downloaded the zip disk from his GitHub to the CocoaPie to load up Squanchy Basic. So now that you have that GUI, you can do a lot of work on the on the Pi itself, like you could do in Windows or Linux or Mac OS. So um, a lot of exciting things coming on here. And I think this new one with that um, uh, ease of use development environment that'll be on the desktop is hopefully right now what we're doing is we're gift wrapping everything and we're handing this to the world where here it is with a nice bow Here's emulating the color computer. Here's emulating the dragon, emulating the MC10. It's all ease of use. It's menu driven. And on top of that, now we can have software development real easy for you. So any objection, obstacle or hurdle that anybody would have had to not doing something with the cocoa, you got no excuse anymore. Right? You only need a hundred and some odd bucks to get your cocoa pie going. And on top of that, also on this desktop, but wait, there's more. There's also QB64, and if anybody remembers Quick Basic from the old days of MS-DOS, and I, I spent an entire decade of the 90s playing with this, that's what I did my Cosmic Aliens game in, but QB64 is here too. So if you want to write like a, an MS-DOS type GW Basic program and in Basic and do more things with more graphics modes, that's there too, and that's cross-platform compatible. So you can write a program in Quick Basic and compile it to run on Windows, Mac, or Linux, that's on there too. So if you want to write in basic, but maybe not be limited to color basics limitations of resolutions and colors and sounds, you can still write stuff in basic on your Cocoa Pie or on your PC and have the fun of writing a vintage 8-bit program that actually would run a little faster and look a little nicer on a modern system. So lots of options here, all for the low price of free that you just have to get your Raspberry Pi and your SD card to get going. So that's the Cocoa Pie project in a nutshell. And if you follow the page and follow us on Discord, you're gonna you're gonna see that we're gonna keep posting out updates as time goes on. So there it is. I'm done. Amazing. Well, it's no squanchy basic, but you know, it's something. <laughs> yeah, this upgrade scheme is very nice. It took me like eight hours and five retries to get ATT to download this upgrade. So I'll be thankful to not do that again yeah yeah you don't have to re-image anymore uh well theoretically not very often unless we have a major underhaul of the operating system that has to be replaced yeah uh, the pi's own operating system yeah unless you have to replace the pi operating system all the features and updates to emulators and scripts and tools and stuff they're just going to be downloads yeah e for, for, for native like uh coco operating systems like say nitrous nine for example or flex whatever I if you guys get select set up, but that's an automatic download too. Like when we release a new version of EOU Nitrous Nine, you yeah, can just go yeah. pull it and, off and, the menu. And, and that's what I'm. And so the last two videos, which I which I released and rolled out today, I did a real brief video on how to do Pi DriveWire and how to boot up an emulated Cocoa and load software over DriveWire because Pi DriveWire is running on your Pi and it will both. Uh, feed the emulated cocos as well as you could create a instance to feed a real coco if you want to plug a USB serial dongle into your Pi you can run DriveWire to real hardware off of this and Pi DriveWire supports not only the DriveWire protocol but the MC protocol that the MC10 uses that's all built in so I did a very brief like less than 10 minute video on just how to how to how to put a disk in DriveWire and pull up a disk on HDB DOS right so it's not super technical or super deep but it just shows you where to get started 
And then I did another video in less than 10 minutes showing you how to get the ease of use image for Nitrous 9 and how to boot it up and, and fire it up and then run the patch to make it RGB with a real-time clock. Imagine that, Nitrous 9 with a real-time clock. The way it was meant. The way it was meant to be with 80 column RGB um, and, and, and all that you can do now. And so as we were, as we were talking about to get a real Coco three, it's getting to be expensive, $300 average street price on a Coco three right now. Not to mention the fact you need your floppy emulator and you need your Ram upgrade and you need this and you need that. Right? So for 120 bucks, get a Coco pie and, and run a two meg Coco three emulated and have all the fun of running, running nitrous nine with a real time clock. All right, so <laughs> yeah, and of course it emulates a six three nine the upgrade chip that yeah. uh, you know a lot of us people have done in hardware, but it's a bit difficult if you don't soldering skills. So and and so big thanks go to Mikey. Ron Klein because he's the one who's been basically driving this project for the past five six years. I'm just the guy who's excited about it, who's trying to be the, uh, you know, the I'm trying to be the guy with the bugle. You're right? the user beta tester. Yes, the cheer yes. the cheerleader. The cheerleader, rah rah rah, go Coco Pie, right? So hey, yeah. Uh, Mikey wants to know where his royalty check is. Curtis oh, it's probably in the, does it's too. In the mail. It's in the mail, Mikey. If you come to VCF Midwest next weekend, all the way from California. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, excited. Uh, by the way, a few of us on the panel will not be here on the panel next week. So, Jason the Cocoa Man, myself, Grant Leedy, we will all be at VCF Midwest. I think Eric Canales is going to be there. Uh, I'm not sure who else is going to be there, but I believe uh, Richard Lorbieski said he might show up, so we might have a voice on sighting. But we won't be on the show, so next week we got a great show. Next week we have um, Brain Freeze. Gene Turnbow. Gene Turnbow, who created the first Star Trek game for the Color Computer 3. Uh, we did a pre-interview with him, and man, this guy's a firecracker. He's just got so much... He's an interesting guy, right? So he uh, did the first Star Trek uh, thing. He's done some cool hardware projects. Rockstar. And he runs a, um, a sci-fi internet radio station, right? So it's, what is it called? Yeah. It's called He's also been involved with Hollywood and- Yeah, it's sci-fi.radio, or is that what it is? Dude, what's that on you? Uh, are you trying to talk to us, Jason, or do you need to be muted? Nope, nope, nope. Use your inside voice. Um, yeah, so next week's interview is going to be great, but uh, some of us won't be here, but hopefully Mark B. will be able to stream the show. We'll try to bring you live coverage from VCF Midwest, but we realize with our guest speaker, we're not going to try to hijack the show. So we might have some after-the-fact VCF live footage streaming uh, next weekend from Chicago. Um, good times, good times. Uh, anybody have any final thoughts before we run the outro and get ready to say goodbye? Just a big thank you for uh, to Bill Sias yeah, for being with us. Here. He stuck through the whole show. He's so. still here, right? I, I thought he turned the lights off just so we wouldn't notice that uh, we wouldn't notice that he's napping. He's so <laughs> uh, in the show. guest protection program, but uh, and we we squeezed it into four hours, which is great. So I, I'm in the living room. You're looking out at, at the lake right now. Cool. All right. So and I'll, what ha what happened earlier is I about sat on the cat. He like I got up for a second. And he tried to steal my seat. So oh, yeah, that's right. when everything went all wonky. But hey, I'll I, I I look forward to seeing everybody at VCF next weekend. Stop by the Coco Man booth. There we go. All right, I'm gonna run the outro. My, my Greyhound saw the cat. Place. You were almost in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be back after the outro here. Thanks, guys. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.com.
www.thinkingoutloud.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Levy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! All right, and that concludes another train wreck. And thank you again to our special guest, Bill Sias, and thank you to L. Curtis Boyle for going above and beyond to wrangle all of our guests that we've got. We've got back-to-back guests uh, for the next, all the way through September, going in halfway into October. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. I, I will be trying to slow that down a little bit because it is getting the shows a bit long and there's so much news happening at the same time. So I think we're, we'll start in October, November booking guests every two weeks Yeah. so we can have a catch-up one for keeping the shows yeah. a little yeah, bit. It's a good right. problem to have where we're having to turn people away from being a guest on the show right now. Uh, oh, does that explain why I can't get on as a guest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Ron Delvaux. And thank you, Rick Eulin and Tim Lindner for Squanchy Basic and for MAME Development and for all that you do. And Mark B. for being our backup. Alan Murphy. David Ladd for your fashion sense. And Mark Overholzer. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for watching. So we've had Kevin Holloway and Mikey and Tom Eric Gunderson and Scott Cooper and Coco Man and Mark Overholzer and uh, Mikey and Exiled in Paradise and Sixie and Retro Innovations and Rick Euland and all kinds of people out there in the chat today. There's too many to even count at this point. Sloopy Malibu is out there. I think Mr. Dave was out there. So many people. Erico Monterio has been out there in the live chat. Uh, Tim Gilbert's our friend from uh, Wales and the Dragon side. So many people. Too many people, not enough time to thank, but thank you all. Um, we're going to press the button. Uh, hang out with us on Discord and check out the Cocoa Pie Project. Lots to do for your Cocoa Dragon and MC10. And say goodbye, everybody. Good Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.